I'm hungry. Let's do this. Let's, <laughs> let's roll with this shiz. Ready for some full ruckus. I really just do this so I can have lunch with you guys. I don't really care about the show Ooh. or movies. This is Four Friends Fight About Film, a podcast about movies and things more important than movies, if we ever find any. So today's episode is going to be slightly different than our normal gig, jig, that we do. Yep, yep. that's it, jig. Uh, <laughs> this week, we each picked one movie for each other to watch. So some of us seem to pick movies that we thought the others would enjoy, while others picked movies that the only way we can get them to watch them is by forcing them <laughs> to through this episode, Seems fair. which tells yeah. you a lot about our personalities, probably, once we get to them. To kick us off, say your name and a movie you're embarrassed you haven't seen. So my name is Hudson, and um, I've been talking. <laughs> um, the the movie that that I get the hardest time for not seeing is Taxi Driver. Never seen oh, Taxi man. Driver. Yeah, I've never seen it either. No, are High you five. are you High five. are you embarrassed about it though? Yeah. Good. I mean, I, I'm not dying to see it, but I'm embarrassed when like filmmakers are like, oh, you haven't seen Taxi Driver? Every filmmaker has to see Taxi Driver. Well, you should punch anybody that says that right in the face. Like, I'd like to see that. <laughs> punched a lot. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Jordan. And mine, sorry, Lance, is Schindler's List. <gasps> wow. You've Schindler's I've List? I've never wow. seen it. Wow. But I think it's getting re-released in, in some theaters this Christmas season. You know, it's also on like, and I'm going to try to go see it. Fairly easy to watch at any time you want. No, never heard of that. Yeah, the sequel's yeah. coming out. Schindler's Piss. Oh, yes, that's Remember? my favorite. Yeah, my it's favorite the Revenge movie. Idea. Yeah. Why haven't you made that yet? Mm-hmm. Lack of funds and interest. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're going to get, a good idea. <laughs> get any of those things. This is Lance. Uh, the movie, so I've seen, I think I've seen the whole thing in bits and pieces, but I've never sat down and A to Z watched The Iron Giant. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen Interesting. it. Oh. No bit or pieces. You had an opportunity when we talked about it in the first yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. I was Whoops. busy. But he had a lot of Veep to watch. I was busy that night. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Kyle the Gibberoni Gibson. <laughs> the film that I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen is one Pulp Fiction from 1994. Don't, don't worry about it, Gary. Uh, I'm okay about not seeing it. There are like mind. hundreds of movies you should be embarrassed about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you'd even begin. That was the first one in the IMD Top 250 I hadn't We'll just go to the next one. I'm sure that would make the list, too. <laughs> I actually hadn't seen the next one, either. Yep, there you it's go. good, bad, and ugly. Huh. Oh, we just, just talked, talked about, about that one. one. Yeah. <laughs> I own it. God help us. We've got no um, feedback with voices this week because, as it turns out, you guys could care less about suggesting <laughs> movies for us. Uh, but keep following us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Fight About Film on Facebook and Twitter to give us your opinion on future episodes. So, picking movies for, for other people, how did you kind of go about it? And then also, let's do this. Let's go around and say, if you, we'll go through each person and how do you define that person's movie tastes? All right, so we'll start with Hudson. Yeah. When I think of the perfect quote-unquote Hudson movie, I think of a romantic comedy with kind of... Wizard kids in it. Wizard kids. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Is this an actual movie? Because <laughs> why are we not talking about that? <laughs> Somewhat sentimental themes, but not overly sentimental. No, I think overly sentimental Oh, I think overly Hudson. sentimental, but with a lot of levity. Yeah. That's good. Ooh. Yeah, yeah Ooh. sure, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, admit I think to that's, that. I think that's pretty dead on. Very fluffy, so, like, light. Practical Magic. It's a <laughs> I haven't seen I that. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> that's it's a Nicole movie. Kidman and uh, Sandra Bullock. And I've not seen it. I'm not sure that one fits. Wizard that ladies. sounds more like a <laughs> chick. Is that like a chick flick type yeah, thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is also kind of my thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Uh, all right, what makes a Lance movie? Anger. 
Uh, I think beauty is is one of the huh. the big ones as wow. far as cinematography and, and especially that. music. Yeah. Well, yeah, music. I find a lot of the movies that you love to be very beautiful. I mean, we look at English Patient as a very beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Uh, E.T. You could look at in a very beautiful way. Music's a big thing for me. Um, Definitely gen- true. Generally, they're older mm-hmm. films. Yeah, like Lance. Yeah. <laughs> I find that if older they speak, than Lance, if they speak English in the film, Lance is already knocking it down a peg or two. That's not true. Mm-hmm. I love English. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I I think it hard hard hitting is something that you. Seem to really yeah, like in, yeah. in, a, in a number of ways. Yeah. If a film also is about a father-son relationship, I think about Lance. I tend to get into those, yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Or a team. talking about one of those? A team. Mm-hmm. He loves a team movie. Love me a good team movie. Te- teams of fathers and sons. <laughs> if, it, if it can be a procedural team movie, <laughs> That's then. That's perfect. Or Team Wolf. <laughs> team right? Wolf. Team Wolf. <laughs> uh, and I generally think uh, kind of like crimey stuff. I mean, you're, you're yeah, into... I like the crime. I like, I like high stakes. I like, he likes yeah. it like a... Death. Death. Movies that are Murder. clever. Mm-hmm. Movies that Cleverness. are clever, whether they're jokes or just the the plot machinations. I like interesting narratives, like different it structures. Like of Lance narratives. just likes movies. Yeah, we just yeah. described every described movie. Described every movie. Yeah. Uh, perfect Gibby movie. I mean, do I make the Pixar joke or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pixar movies? Obvious. Yeah. Happy, like happy, too. jolly. I, jolly is a good word yeah. for it, actually. Gibby likes to just have fun at yeah. the movies. Yeah, I, I can. He's I can respect equally that. sentimental. I think he he really likes to be entertained. Yeah, just yeah. He doesn't just want anything time. too serious. He wants to be entertained. Hang his hat at the door. I feel like yes. you know you <laughs> sure. You said you said if I if they speak English, I knock it down a little bit. I feel like you do the same thing with older movies. I like a lot of older movies. Faults. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe you do. I just maybe it's that you just haven't seen you many of them. Watch but them. I mean, you're going to gravitate more towards a new release than you are a movie from well, the sixties. He's going to gravitate I, towards whatever's in the theater and whatever's on the TV. Yeah, true. yeah, true. So like whatever's right in front of him, but not what's in his own DVD collection. Oh, no, no, because no, that's not right in front of him. That's in right. some closet. <laughs> it's in a closet, <laughs> cupboard somewhere. I've got a lot of old movies, in and my he's got to open it. There's plastic yeah. around it. It's like that's the real challenge. You got to pull out and look at yeah. it. If it's on TBS, there's a good chance. Yeah, Gibby, Gibby loves it. Mm, Except, loves how many times has the two movies that we're talking about today been on TV? All the time. Forgive me. Yeah, because mm. they take all day. <laughs> Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. Jordan, Jordan movie. Well, first is like friendship. Mm. Mm-hmm. Jojo loves movies about friendships. I think of Jordan yeah. liking more underground, countercultural, cult type films. Yeah, I think having not heard of it gives it bonus points. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a little but, gross, I think that has definite bonus points. Yeah, but I'll say Jordan bloody. surprises me sometimes too. We've definitely had some. Um, I, I think you're the hardest to predict when, of everyone. When Ugh, I found out stop that you love his ego, no, it's perfect true. World that was just that shocked me. Really? Yeah. Well, like Indiana Jones Part Four, he, he loved it. Well, I don't like, know that I loved it. I, re- I yeah, just you really said it was like it. your favorite. Yeah, but it's movie. just you but like it's like all what, so no, but this plays into what the, the movie like, I picked for you that I, is the one I'm the most excited to talk about. Yeah, you were I like picked Spielberg it for you. Peaked. No, because it's a movie I hate that I thought you might actually like because I I'm just so bad at predicting what you like. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Oh, yep. Well, let's hop, <laughs> let's jump That's into it. Jump into it. Oh, I get to go first here. My first pick comes from Lance. Lance picked this film for me. It's like I just get you a Christmas present. Yeah. Oh, this one's from Lance. <laughs> oh, thanks, Lance. I, I can't think read I, it. I think oh I give you a hell of a present be? here. What's it going to be? It's going to be Akuru, a 1952 film directed by the great Japanese director Akira Kurosawa uh, in what some say is his best film. Which um, he would say was his best film. Oh, he calls it his he best film? He calls it his best film. He said it was his greatest that? achievement. No, he's dead. Mm. <laughs> 
If you uh, like pushed on his stomach, would it? Was that what? Would I don't know, out? Jordan. I don't like where this it is headed. Frankly, just crumble into a <laughs> bunch of dust and bones. Oh, These are being so disrespectful mm-hmm. to the great Japanese director Akira Kurosawa. The film introduces us to Kanji Watanabe, a government bureaucrat who hasn't missed a day of work in thirty years, resolving himself to a monotonous life. Which this should show you why Lance picked this movie. Mm-hmm. His wife died long ago, and while he lives with his uh, now grown son, the two don't have much of a relationship. With the son seemingly just hanging around for his money, and after being diagnosed with stomach cancer, Watanabe attempts to find meaning in his life. He first stops going to work. He spends an evening with a young author who takes him out partying and befriends a young woman who is my favorite character in this whole thing, who many believe that he's having a romance with, but really he's just trying to latch on to what makes her feel alive. She's this ultra kind of alive human. And ultimately he finally decides to return to work and make a real difference in the world that it was established around him. I mean, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that he dies in the film because they tell you that right at the beginning. But my favorite moment in the film is at his wake when you've got all these bureaucrats sitting around and instead of paying their respects, they're basically trying to take credit for his accomplishments. Uh, And then this group of kind of poor town folk come in and all of a sudden they are just like weeping and wailing over his death while every, all these bureaucrats are sitting around stone faced. And It's, it's quite a, it felt like quite a risk to me. Like he, so he dies forty five minutes from the end. Yeah, and then the last forty five minutes of the it's movie abrupt. are pretty much all his wake. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Which talking is, about, and it jumps back through time yeah, and stuff. But I wasn't expecting him to no, die no, no, that no, early, yeah, and yeah. then just be pretty much stuck in one room for the last yeah. forty five. And it's minutes. like a voiceover. It's like, oh yeah, and then he died. <laughs> uh, but but in that moment where these these town folk come in, you realize that his life has value not because of what he accomplished, but because of the lives he touched. And I found that to be uh, really powerful. The themes of the film don't weren't quite as deep as I was kind of hoping, but I feel like maybe I'm missing some sort of historical or cultural significance of the time uh, in that film's messages. But it's really kind of a tonal marvel as the movie has equal moments of quirkiness and humor and sadness and beauty. And a lot of it feels very modern uh, in the way that it was filmed and the way they do voiceover and the way they they frame shots and jump through time and all that kind of stuff. And you really see why Kurosawa is such a master with some of his shots. But this movie felt so f-ing long to me. Uh, it kind of was. Yeah, I thought my film struck account was going to run out before the movie ended. <laughs> so you've really got to be in the mood to sit through it. But if you have nine hours one Saturday, I think it's worth it. Really, it's, it's only two, it's, and, it's two it's, and a half hours. It's, it's not much long, shorter than nine, a number of the yeah. movies that we're talking <laughs> it about today. It might yeah. be the shortest movie we talk about today. Yeah, thanks. But it, but it does kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it is older and uh, it does kind of go on in some of these scenes. They're, they're all beautiful, but they do go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so I, I the reason I picked this movie were a couple reasons. First off, there was there was one element of it that I thought was very Hudson, the life affirming aspect of it, uh-huh. and another element which is the foreign film. Which I just I'm interested in getting your thoughts on more foreign films. I mean, I'm not oh, saying you never sure. watched them, but it was like this kind of nexus of a thing I don't think you watch that much yeah. of with something I think you like a lot. Yeah. I saw this movie. I've only watched this movie one time, and I've never watched it since because the impact it had on me was so tremendous that I almost don't want to like ruin it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it again someday. At what point did you watch this recently? Uh, a few years ago. Okay. Yeah. And um, it immediately became one of my favorite movies ever. It's probably my favorite foreign film. It's uh, like I said, Kurosawa said it was his greatest achievement. Roger Ebert wrote a fantastic essay on it in his great movies list. It's not a movie about this guy dying. It's about him trying to learn how to live. And the reason that it, you know... Which that's what the name means. Akira means to live. To live right, right, right. You know, you talk, Jordan, about how the, the fact that it, you know, 45 minutes, he, 
are still left after he dies. And that's because so much of the film is not just about him learning to live, but it's about how are people going to respond to this. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting to me. And, And not only that he spends so much time dwelling on that, but the fact that it doesn't really tie it up nicely where, well, everyone learned to live great. There's a scene where they all say they're going to change and they're going to live right. and then a week later they're back to who they were before <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and they're, I think I, if I remember correctly they're in a boardroom or something and a guy raises his hand and calls them all out for it he's like what the hell he, we all he, said we were going to change our lives and we're, like he's going to talk yeah, he, right. and he doesn't and then and he doesn't. right 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 he's going to call them out for it he but then he's afraid down. to yeah. and so in that sense it's a life affirming movie but it's also kind of a criticism of I think we've all had these moments in our lives when a life affirming thing has happened whether it's been the death of someone or just a realization mm-hmm. we had for some reason and how often people a week later don't change yeah so it's a it's a criticism too of i think how we react to major life events and things that would otherwise prod us to become better people one thing i appreciated about it is his big choice wasn't to like take off and travel the world mm-hmm. it was to stay in his world that he's been in for 30 years and make a difference where he was mm-hmm. and, which i felt it was a lot different than what you see in the kind of american idea of what it means to live right and the the fam- probably the most famous shot or scene from it, it which is actually on the cover of the Criterion release is uh, it's him sitting on a swing and, yeah. and the idea is that he has decided his last accomplishment is going to be to build a park for children a city again it feels mm-hmm. so overly sentimental but it's yeah. handled so well that it's not and one of the last shots is him sitting in the snow on the swing shortly before he dies so overall I mean you would say liked it didn't love it or no I would say I loved it but I wouldn't you know I wouldn't put it on my favorite films I wouldn't watch gotcha. it again but I thought it was great um, I did write a couple of great lines down while I was watching that, that it really hit me one was uh Misfortune teaches us the truth, which I thought was a great line. Mm. The other one is, I can't afford to hate people. I don't have that kind of time. Mm. Because I just watched a crew and that took up my entire life. <laughs> These are actually lines Hudson wrote. They were great <laughs> lines that Hudson wrote. Uh, I I love this movie. It's one, I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. And I oh, could really for Jordan. I could really see why Lance loved it so much, which is that I watched it and couldn't get away from the feeling that it was the original office space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. I, I did connect with this movie so heavily because it's yeah. about this guy who just gets sucked into this corporate mm-hmm. thresher and how it, you know, he wastes so much of his life, which, I mean, yeah, it's kind of what I feel like I'm doing. <laughs> but then it, it also really powerfully deals with a father-son relationship mm-hmm. Yep, um, that is really interesting and really, really powerful. Yep, There's really nothing wrong with this movie. And there are some remarkably good jokes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a part where can we play those jokes? Yeah, we can. No one will understand <laughs> unless they Some know Japanese. But there's a part where during the the part where Watanabe and the young woman woman are hanging out a lot, and they she's come up with all these nicknames for everyone in the office, mm. and it, it, that scene is hilarious and touching <laughs> at the same time. And one of the names she came up with, I just have giggled about since I watched the movie, which is Carp Windsock, <laughs> which is an amazing. <laughs> You should add that, Gibby. You should add that to your uh, list of names at the beginning of every show. (laughs) Gibby, KG, Carp, Winsock, Giberson. The funniest moment to me was when he's in the hospital in the waiting room and the guy across from him describes the effects of stomach Uh cancer, not realizing that he's (laughs) suffering from stomach cancer. Right. He goes on and on and on. That scene is so good, technically, too, because the camera just sits there and they They move. move, Mm -hmm. And they'll move way into the foreground. It's beautiful. All right. Up next. Right. So next up is me. This is Hudson's uh-huh. choice for me. It was 2011's Attack the Block, written directed by Joe Cornish, who's somehow part of that whole Edgar Wright crew, I believe. Yeah. They write stuff together. They write stuff together, which is good. Good call, Hudson. You know I love Edgar Wright films. Anyway, this... Thanks. This, Yeah. 
This movie follows a small group of teens and a lady who defend their apartment complex in South London after an alien invasion. The film opens with the five teen boys mugging this lady, and then they see a meteor hit a car next to them and kill a puppet that was inside that meter. <laughs> the film... <laughs> film takes off from there, but only takes place around a three-block radius as the boys and a lady have to team up to save themselves after a whole bunch more puppets fall to Earth and look for the first now-dead puppet. (laughs) Hudson, uh, you know, this movie hits all the things that I love in a film. Drug humor, lots of swearing, (laughs) young, violent kids. You know me too well. The puppetry arts. (laughs) Arts of puppetry. All right, but things that you do love, the aforementioned Edgar Wright, which Joe Cornish is, is a similar style to. They're just the old school kind of Amblin style action adventure. So it's kind of like a Gremlins meets Goonies type of thing. Kids fighting off monsters with fireworks or puppets. <laughs> as and then I love the soundtrack for this film. I thought you'd really connect with I did, the soundtrack. I did. I, I made a note that well. I love the score and yeah. the soundtrack and the techno. But there's another reason I recommended this to you is because I knew that you would hate it at first. <laughs> uh, but see, w- one thing that I love in movies is where you hate the main character at the beginning and then start to love them by the end. And this movie does such a great job with this, like, like these snotty hooligans at the beginning who they mug this lady. They're yeah. terrible kids. Mm-hmm. But by the by the end, you really get to know them and really empathize with them. And you start to realize that they just really need something deeper to fight for to give them purpose. Right. And I made a note that in a way it reminded me of a film we talked about during our listener suggestion episode, uh, Housebound, where at first, the first thing you see the main character do is a criminal act. Yeah. So you start from a place where you immediately kind of don't like the person. And then you're correct. By the end of this film, I did like the kids, the ones yeah. that survived. What was the soundtrack? Like, what was so good about the soundtrack? Uh, it's kind, kind of, of electronic y, yeah, but it's just, it's really catchy. Ready to rock, we're gonna attack the block. That's not it. That <laughs> puppet looks like it was made That's from a sock. Um, <laughs> it's a song I just wrote. And you make fun of the puppets, but I, I thought they did a remarkable job with the effects for it being such a low budget film can you see the strings attached to the puppets (laughs) no i think they're guys in suits but they're kind of gorilla like but their mouths open up and are like trans or no what's the word uh bioluminescent kind of mouse thing it's it's really well done Mm -hmm. fluorescent yeah i mean i like i like the film i thought it was fun uh it wasn't so i'd heard about it for years and years about how great this movie not just from you but you know a lot of uh end of year list and the internet. Saying. This was a cult classic. Well, you don't get a 6.6 on IMDb without <laughs> being a great film. Whoa. Uh, 90% just, on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I t- I'm sorry. I'm just mad you didn't like Akira more, so now I'm attacking, <laughs> now I'm attacking your block. I did oh. like it. Um, I did like it. No, I, I, I watched, I tried to watch this film a few years ago, and I just, I got I got like 30 minutes to it. I just got bored. I do feel like I probably need to give it another shot. I yeah, keep no, hearing it picks enough good up after about 30 it. or 40 minutes. It took a while. I mean, I looked at I the clock. I stopped at minute 30, and at, <laughs> at minute 31, it started I, to I, I looked at the clock about 30 or 40 minutes into it, we did you do this recently? This was a few years ago. Okay. So I did a little research and I found a little thing that I think the four of us should read. Okay, sure. Oh. So in 2012, Hudson recommended this movie to me. And as I've said before, since I do everything Hudson asked me to do, uh, with a smile on my face, I watched this movie. <laughs> and so on February 6th, 2012, I wrote Hudson an email. Well, I wrote Hudson and Gibby and Lance an email. Here goes. So, just finished watching Attack the Block. I was ready to turn it off after five minutes. I paused it, did some dishes, came back, and turned it on. The title sequence came up, and I hated it. 30 minutes in, 
the Lance Mark. Oh, where Lance bailed. <laughs> yeah, because right, Lance right. watched 30 minutes of it before I did. Uh, not into it, but soldiered on to please Hudson and give it a fair shake. It ended, and I think I loved it. It has plenty of problems, and I didn't love it all, but as a whole, a really great movie. Fun, exciting, moving. I don't think it's going to age well, but we'll see. Regardless, Lance, you should watch the whole thing. The last hour is at least a million times better than the first 30 minutes. Gibbs, if you haven't seen it, you should. Bottom line, it's fun, and it's clever. You did. The last 20 minutes really makes it. It's one of the only movies of recent memory where I immediately wanted to watch it again. Not because of some twist, but because it takes the whole time for you to really love the characters and for the theme to really reveal itself. And it's really done that way on purpose. Playing with the audience's perception of these kids, the second time you watch it, you see them through different eyes, which is the whole point of the film. Time out real quick. I love that Hudson is doing his own voice in the way that we do Hudson's voice. I also love that this is so poorly written, and yet it's the way we actually write. Right. We weren't even writing anything. All right, I'm, I'm up now. The worst part here is that I can't even make a snarky comment since I didn't finish it. You should just watch it, Lance. You'll appreciate it. It's excellent. The more I think about it, the more I like it. Don't do it, Lance. Don't watch it. Stick to your guns. Jordan loves Crystal Skull, and Hudson loves MacGruber. <laughs> Watch it, if not just so you can make snarky comments. Isn't that worth 88 minutes of your life? Well, since I've got about 175 more Criterion movies to watch, and they're adding a few titles every month, plus non-Criterion things I want to see, I, I may be able to get to it by around 2014-ish. <laughs> After Lance wrote 175 more Criterion movies, all I saw was nerd, 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 nerd. Hey, at least I've got goals, man. Sad, pathetic goals. New Spider-Man trailer looks pretty rad. All I heard after new Spider-Man trailer was nerd, nerd, nerd. Gibby's on a roll this morning. All I heard after Gibby was, man, what a swell and neat fellow. <laughs> that is a real wow. unedited going back into chain. history. It's pretty good. 2012. <laughs> so did you finish by 2014? <laughs> Um, no. I will say that I'm not sure I've ever seen a more British movie, bruv. You wanna bring arms to me now? You wanna merc me? You wanna war with me? Listen to me, cuz. I'm not even lying. If we was making it up, don't you think we'd make up something a bit better than aliens? Say that word one more time. I told you, bruv. On the roof if you don't believe me. What? What's on the roof? One of them... Say it. One of them big gorilla wolf motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of uh, British co coeculism. Yeah. There were there were funny parts. It wasn't as funny as like I thought yeah. it was going to be. Uh, but I did love the main drug dealer character who just keeps listening to his own rap song in every scene, and that was pretty funny. Also, this is the uh, breakout role for John Boyega, who is in the new Star Wars films and J other stuff. And yeah, isn't he, the isn't the new Doctor Who woman in this movie? Yeah, yeah, well? yeah. Who's in it. yeah. Uh, I, Which he's so Denzel Washington in this, like oh, young yeah. Denzel. Very uh, kind of aggressive. But I did love the very last scene, last shot of this movie. Uh, and it was him smiling for like the first time in the whole film when everybody's chanting his name. Moses, Moses. Yeah. yeah. It's a great. great scene. All right, Lance, you're up next. Well, hold on. What, what's, the, what's the score right now? Nobody who's really loved anybody's movie. I mean, nope. I liked it. I think it was two likes. Yeah, two yeah. likes, but no, no loves. loves. No loves. Speaking of yeah. love... I've got a like, a love. So what's going to happen is we're all going to change our opinions now when we yeah. get in our movies because uh, you didn't no. love Hudson. I've, didn't I've love got a movie. like, a love, and a hate. All right. I'm sticking with my true feelings, Gibby. Speaking of love, my next film is Love and Anarchy. Speaking picked of for anarchy. Me, picked for me by Jordan. Although the actual title is Film of Love and Anarchy, and then in parentheses, 
or at 10 o'clock this morning in Via Dia Fioria in the infamous house of prostitution. <laughs> That's the original title. Huh. Lena Vertmuller loves a long movie title. Lena Vertmuller's 1973 Italian film follows the story of Antonio Sofiantini, referred to as Tunin, an Italian farmer who joins the anarchist party after watching his friend gunned down by fascist soldiers loyal to Benito Mussolini. This friend was on a mission to assassinate Mussolini, a task that Tunin adopts as his own. Linked up with an anarchist agent, a prostitute named Salome, Tunin spends his days in Rome preparing it's, for the It's Chalamet. Really? Did you watch the movie? I did, but I. <laughs> Salome. It's something like that. I'm probably saying, saying it a little bit wrong. So many words words I didn't. He watched it with closed caption done. Right, Chalamet. <laughs> Tunin spends his days in Rome preparing for the assassination and comes across a cast of colorful characters as the clock ticks towards what he assumes will be his demise. Things unexpectedly take a turn when Tunin falls in love with one of the prostitutes at the brothel, putting his mission in jeopardy and making him question everything. I sat down to summarize, I watched this last <laughs> night, and I sat down to summarize it, and I, this is one of the hardest analyses I've ever had to do on a movie. Why? I still don't know what to make of this movie. Well, th the biggest reason is because depending on what scene you watch, this could be five different genres of mm -hmm. movie. Every scene feels like a different genre. And, and that's not a knock on it at all, but TuneIn at times is made to seem almost kind of Chaplin-esque. Mm -hmm. And the inner workings of the brothel are played with this really comic tone. But since he's there to commit a political assassination, the film frequently veers into the politics of Italy in the 30s and the factions that were struggling against each other. And then since political assassinations usually involve, you know, an assassination... <laughs> Um, there's this really dark part of it too where Tunin has to come to terms with the gravity of what he's about to do and the fact that we'll likely get him killed. So we feel like we're watching a prisoner awaiting execution a little bit here. The whole film just keeps feeling really schizophrenic and depending on which scene you pulled out of it, like I said, it, it feels like it could be one of multiple genres. So as I try to approach this, I tried to look at each different type of film I was seeing in it. The love story I didn't really love. I didn't really like the comedy in it either, but the political aspect and the idea of him grappling with the task at hand really comes together in an interesting way at the end when the when Tunin, you know, spoiler alert, he gets arrested and presumably he's going to be he's going to be killed. And we see a policeman typing up a quick one-liner for the police report that sums up his fate, dismissing him as yet another political madman who killed himself in his cell. The film ends with a quote put on the screen that I want to read by an Italian anarchist named Enrico Malatesta. And what he says is, I wish to repeat my horror at attacks, which besides being bad in and of themselves are also stupid because they harm the very cause they are trying to serve. But those assassins are also saints and heroes, and they will be celebrated once the brutal facts are forgotten. And all that is remembered is the idea that inspired them and the martyrdom that made them saints. And I don't know if this was the intended takeaway, but for me, what it did was it, it was this idea that a single blurb in a newspaper that quickly summarizes an event leaves us without the true context of everything that happened up before. Mm -hmm. And it, I, it, it, this is really weird comparison. It reminded me a little bit of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they take this box that you've it's seen. Weird. It is, I know, it, this popped in my head, but, but I was thinking, what does this reminding me of and you see this box with this arc in it that has had this entire backstory that you've been riveted by and at the end of the movie it's just thrown into a warehouse mm -hmm. and now it's just like every other box and that was a really interesting idea to me and again I don't know if that was our intention or not but the idea is oh let's just throw them in the loony bin with everybody else write a quick blurb in the newspaper and this could be applied to any news story I mean yeah. you, you hear about somebody's house burning down in California right now you don't think about their history you don't think about the past you know the people they loved all of that stuff that goes with it and in that regard that 
that really connected with me at the end. Hmm. The fact that it was an, almost like a twist ending or it's like, oh, we're seeing... A part of me almost wishes they'd started the movie with that quick write-up right. and then gone back and told the whole story. Again, that may not have been her intention, but overall, I, I liked this movie. I didn't cool. love it. Again, there were parts of it that felt kind of disjointed to me, yeah. but overall, really enjoyed it. I didn't necessarily pick it for you because I thought you'd love it, but because I thought you would find it very interesting. You do um, compare everything to Raiders of the Lost that's Ark. That's true. That's, that's, not that's a good point, true. Hudson. <laughs> Vert Mueller is a fascinating director Vert and writer. <laughs> Um, which I think we'll be is talking she about. related to Butt Garrett? I don't think she has any relation to Butt Garrett. Go back to our uh, most disturbing episode. Yep. episode. Yeah. Mostly because she's not German. And her last name How not is she Butt not Garrett? German? Well, she's Italian. I wanted to mention real quick. I, I'm sorry, did I? No. Okay. There's a, I did say I didn't love the comedy. There's this one character, though, um, named Spadoletti. Yes. Who cracked me up? He's so sort of he's, a right hand man to yeah. Mussolini. Well, he's in charge. Uh, he's a fascist. He's in charge of Mussolini's security detail, and they're using him to get information, and that involves going out with him for an evening, and everybody gets drunk. But he was like this. He was like the precursor to Stifler <laughs> in the American Pie movies <laughs> to me a little bit. So, for example, he he's he, like he's always trying to have sex with everyone. He's totally crass, really hilariously macho. At one point, he's observing that Tunin has been with this prostitute <laughs> up in the ho- room for a long you'd, time. You'd pick out this line, and he comments. This is his line. Who is he? Joe F***. <laughs> that's, that's the nickname he comes up with. Later, he's singing a song to his lover, the lyrics of which are, My love, my love, why are you a whore? <laughs> he's so weird, but he's hysterical. Yeah. Earlier, when she, when you mentioned the comic tone of the brothel, I just pictured Benny Hill. <laughs> well, so Vert Mueller is one of my all-time favorite directors, and she's fascinating because she somehow, and it doesn't always work, but she spins all these different genre plates at the same time. Mm. And for the most part, her movies are like this. They're, they're comedies that are super weighty, very serious subject matter that she somehow brings comedy into to tell her story. And she she actually got her start as an AD for Fellini on Eight and a Half. And Nina Rota, who did the scores for Fellini's film, I think did the score for this. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's some crossover there. For yeah. sure. And you do, there are times where you feel like you're watching a Fellini movie. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I think she was very influenced by that. Um, All these Germans. Are you guys but, rolling your eyes at us right now? A little bit. This is one of my favorite movies I've, I've ever seen in my life. Giancarlo Giannini and Mariangela Mulatto. Blah, 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 blah. Um, the two of them were in a lot of movies together. Mm-hmm. And I think they're both just incredible. This is a really strange role for Giannini because he's usually loud, fast talking, mm-hmm. crazy, goofy guy. And in this movie, he's quiet and he's got all those freckles. Mm-hmm. And red hair, and that's not what he looks like. Right. He was he had to do so much makeup for this movie, which is I think pretty rare for this. Yeah, he time got period. all those freckles tattooed on him, so he had them for the rest that's of his not, life. Not it's true. Not, not I didn't realize true. who he was though. Janini is actually a guy you've seen before. He was in. Yes. He's been in the. He he's been, yeah, he's been in the latest James Bond and movie. Yeah. He got like, little, little yeah, he's the guy. He's the, the guy. guy you can't understand. Well, he's yeah. a guy from Casino Royale who's like the older. He's like a, he's like an Italian policeman or something. I can't remember. He's some position of authority. Uh, yeah. yeah. But he's that guy in Casino uh. Royale. So it was really fun. I didn't realize until yeah. the end of the movie yeah. who he was. Uh, have you seen Lena Wert Miller's 2004 film? Too much romance. Dot dot dot. It's time for stuffed peppers. <laughs> I, I, I haven't, but she comes up with crazy that? But I'm glad to hear that you saw this movie, Gibby. Uh, Gibby didn't watch this one, <laughs> although it does look it like Lady Gaga's in it. I don't get why. Dude, yeah, that, she's so that great lady. Here. I kept thinking. Oh was yeah, Lady Gaga. definitely. But I, I really wish that somebody, a, a third person, had watched this because I knew that you would find it very interesting. But I have no idea. Oh yeah, what no, I saw it. it. 
It was fine. You did not. I just thought it was fine. You did. did (laughs) It's like kind of. Are you serious? Like, all right. I can't tell if he's serious. uh, I know he's not because he would hate it. It's one that he watched watched with his 15 year old. But it's a serious movie with some sentimentality and a ton of levity. And there's a wizard kid. No, there's not. (laughs) So you would say you liked it, didn't love it? Yeah, liked it. Okay. So we got all likes so far. No likes. That's good. No hate. No loves, no hates. Oh, there's some hate coming. Jordan, you're up. Gibby picked this movie for me, and it is 1988's The Vanishing. Weird. Not a movie I would associate with Gibby. No, not at all. Enough. And really, oh, pretty, Gibby's got levels, layers, huh? No, not really. <laughs> uh, pretty surprising that Gibby would have seen this and I wouldn't have. Yeah. He's uh, a big Keith or Sutherland fan. Yep, that's wrong not, one. That's not what this is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you call him Keither? <laughs> Get his name right. Keith or Sutherland. Sutherland. Oh, Keith for sure. Keith or Sunderhouse. (laughs) It's a mystery thriller from the Netherlands about a young couple on a road trip. Oh, you mean Sporloos. (laughs) Yes, that's the one. While stopped for snacks and things at a service station, the girlfriend, Saskia, well, vanishes. Rex, the boyfriend, searches frantically but to no avail. What information he could gather wasn't nearly enough for any kind of lead. Three years go by and Rex begins hearing from a man claiming to be the abductor. Will Rex be reunited with his lost love? Mm -hmm. He will not. This, my friends, is a masterfully made film. Ooh. It's a. I, I he's not done. He's this. not done yet. I didn't say I loved it. I just said it's a masterfully made okay. film. Uh oh. Uh oh. It's a brilliant thriller. It surprised me at every turn. I was on the edge of my seat from start to finish. I. Loved it. Boom. Good job, Gibby. One Wow. Every aspect of it, it was fantastic, and I'm anxious to watch it again. This is a movie that I'd very much prefer not to spoil. Everyone should have the pleasure of seeing this movie without knowing what's going to happen. It really is that good. And yeah. that's really like what I have to say about it. I mean, it was yeah. it was yeah. awesome. It's a great film. I hadn't seen it in about 15 years. But there was a time in my life, like right after college, where I watched a whole lot of foreign films and older movies to shock you guys. That's not why I watched <laughs> that's why them why you then. did it. Shock you guys now. <laughs> 17 years them. later, that I'll get them. But uh, <laughs> this one was one that always stuck with me because it is super dark and it's got some great twists and turns and it's really mm-hmm. just a great film. And I know it's not about friendship, but I thought it may just have been dark and weird enough for you to like it. It's definitely not about friendship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the friendship of a man and a woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the sure. forced friendship. Yeah. That's that's only in the uh, first 20 minutes right. because then she disappears. Yeah. I feel like Jeff Bridges is a little over the yep, top. Not that movie. Performance. Nope. Not that movie. Oh, he was actually great in the uh, American remake. Interesting note, this was remade as an American film five years later. In case by you're not the same, getting Hudson's yeah. joke. Oh, by again. the same director uh, and writer oh, of the original really? one. Yeah. And Why would the they do that? Remake. Star had a pretty good cast for 1993. Jeff Bridges, one Keith or Sutherland. Uh, <laughs> Sandy, Sandy Bullock and Nancy Travis. So it, was a, it was a pretty good cast at that time. And the American remake's good, but the original one's yeah. significantly so better. So back to the original one, the one that yeah. we're talking about. Uh, I agree. If I had to say something negative about it, which I certainly don't, but I'm going to, <laughs> is it has less to do with the movie and, and more with me, I think, is that because it's Criterion Collection, and seen a lot of Criterions, of course, and not not as many as Lance. I'll give you that, Lance. But Damn it's right. it's number 133 in the Criterion Collection. So it's early. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some 800 or something films after it. But when you watch a lot of Criterions, you come to expect a certain amount of... Um, Boobs. No. no, <laughs> None of those in this movie. Yeah, none. A certain amount of... Um, Blood. Death. Like feeling of change afterwards. Like I, generally I watch a Criterion movie and I feel changed in some way or challenged or... In some way different like after, after watching you watch them. Armageddon, the number three hundred and thirty-five. <laughs> you love to harp on that. <laughs> is that the real number? I don't know. I just made no. that up. But anyway, it is a real arm. I didn't. I didn't feel that 
after this mm. one. I thought that this was a just a really, really, really well done thriller. What did you feel? I felt like it was a really, really good, well done thriller. Oh. But I, it didn't challenge me in a way that I no, have okay, come to expect. Though. Oh, it's great. I think it's totally fine. It just was a little surprising to me that it didn't do more to me. Yeah. But, I, but I'm excited to watch again, and I loved yeah. it. So, I mean, I try, I'm not going to try to get into spoiler territory, but there's something that the main antagonist of the film, like his motivation behind it, mm-hmm. is really interesting to me. And it's something that I think I see play out in lives of people every day. Mm. Not to this extent, but it's very, uh, I think it was very true and just hadn't really been seen in films before. Yeah, yeah this, is a, this is a great movie, great thriller. I mean, when you think of a psychological thriller, this is this is a perfect example. The, the horror is so muted mm-hmm. and so just handled with just, with, there's no jump scares, there's nothing. It's just conversation. There's no violent, I mean, I don't remember any, no. anything tremendously violent in it. It is literally in your head yeah. and it's, it is terrifying. Every every decision um, made was a good one. Funny story about this movie. So Tim Crab, Crabbe, I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. He wrote the uh, the book that this was based on and also the screenplay. The Golden Egg. Is that what it was called? Yes. Um, he based it on a newspaper article he'd read about a female tourist who vanished from a bus trip after buying some gum at a gas station in France. The police looked for this girl for two days and never found her. Crab, Crabbe did extensive research and learned she'd turned up alive and well one day later and had simply boarded the wrong bus. Boy, spoiler alert. He even reached out to her and thanked her for the inspiration. So think about this for a second. She showed up fine the next day. The police looked for her for two days. So hats off to the French police (laughs) for continuing an investigation a day after it had been solved and she was fine. Brilliant. All right. Good job, Gibby. Thanks. Yeah. I didn't see this one, but I have seen the uh, the remake, and um, I remember it being pretty uh, intense. Yeah, on the chalkboard cool. of chalkboard of friends, <laughs> Gibby's great. got that's cool slash irrelevant. Gibby's got two points. Everybody else irrelevant. has one point, so we're keeping uh, score. Cool. We're not really Let keeping score. Build your self esteem up. I need it. Jordan's pick for me was the kind of bullshit movie that you can't pronounce the name of Revanche or Revanche and is in a different language but it doesn't always put subtitles up and it opens up on a reflection of trees in the water and then something thrown into the water and it makes a ripple like the way something devastating in our life ripples through time. It's filled with lots of Ukrainian boobs and the only way you can watch it is by paying for a new app that I have to mirror my phone on the TV to watch. Or at least that's how I felt about it after the first five minutes. After finishing the film, I loved it. Yes! Yay! Oh. Yes! Two loves. Uh, Revanche is it. a 2008 Austrian film written and directed by Götz Spielmann. Follows Alex, an ex-con bouncer at a brothel who is secretly dating one of the prostitutes named Tamara. While visiting his grandfather out in the countryside, Alex visits a bank that he believes can be easily robbed and him and Tamara plan to rob the bank and run away with the money to start new lives together. And slight spoiler here, but it happens pretty early on. After the bank job goes wrong and Tamara is killed, Alex hides away in the town seeking revenge on the cop who killed her. It's a very quiet and kind of beautiful, small version of a heist film. Mm -hmm. And the film is just so perfectly plotted that everything that you see on screen from the very beginning to the very end serves a purpose. Every prop, every line, every shot is intentional. Even that ripple in the water has Mm -hmm. such deeper meaning more than I could ever make fun of. And while you don't care for much uh, for Alex at the beginning, you really love him by the end. And really every character you bump into is so nuanced and three-dimensional and the whole cast is superb. And I really like the ideas the film 
explores around revenge. Revenge means mm-hmm. revenge. It, 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 but it also has a, a double meaning. What's the other meaning? I believe in whatever language it is, it's also used to mean a second chance. Oh, cool. It plays with this idea that maybe others aren't always to blame on our for our misfortune. But the movie really is just, for being such kind of a small movie, it really keeps you guessing and it, it mm-hmm. really has some intense and beautiful moments. Oh, and I hope you guys like watching a mustached man chopping wood. <laughs> Because there's a good 30 minutes of it in this movie. Uh, plot um, keywords, wood chopping. <laughs> uh, but even the, even the wood chopping scenes feel purposeful in it. Revanche has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the 2009 Oscars. These, uh, frequently you are watching a movie and you see a bunch of piled up chop wood and you go, how the hell did that get there? So it's good that a movie finally showed you the yeah, origin. Yeah. Behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. The first time I watched the movie, the, all those scenes where he's chopping wood were some of the most tense in the movie for me. Yeah. Because so much of the movie is waiting for something to happen so much of the movie is anticipation that I was sure he was going to cut off his hand or or something terrible was going to happen with that wood saw but um, maybe it does but it's all about I mean his kind of where he's at and he just needs to disappear into Mm -hmm. something mindless Um, so it really does serve a purpose there this is a movie that I think like I said about The Vanishing but even more every decision made in it was was perfect. Yeah. Uh, there's not a single moment in this movie that I that I'm like, oh, they maybe they should have done that differently. No, I agree. And love the cast. The girl mm-hmm. that plays, I think it's Suzanne that plays the wife. Yeah. Uh, and then also the main guy's incredible. Like oh, you he's just so good. You just love watching him. Yep. And and he's a weird looking guy. Like he's kind of balding and he's got a mustache and he's kind of I don't know. But he looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. You buy it. The I tagline mean, on the poster for this I always thought was really cool. It was Revanche is a dish best served cold. Nope. That's not on there. <laughs> It's not. Should be. It's an Austrian. You just didn't know. Actually, I take that back. There's one really bad decision that Here was made go. in this movie. And I can't figure out why they made it. But the tattoo on his back of a lizard uh, on the main yeah. character's back. And, and it, it looks like placement he... for Geico. Well, the original title was the guy with the lizard tattoo. Oh, <laughs> it looks sense. like they just painted it on like two seconds before they that did. scene was shot. They did. Too. I yeah, watched yeah, some yeah. behind the scenes stuff yeah. and he's really? like laying on that bed and they're yeah. painting it on it his back. It looks so brand new. Yeah. It, it doesn't. I don't understand why they did it. Uh, Lance, you love this movie too. I did. I really like this. Yeah. It's been a few years since I saw it. The only fact I had about it, which was really interesting, was something Hudson hit on earlier, which is that that the title means revenge. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I had. But no, I, I, I did really like this movie. And I remember it also being kind of like, it's a little bit like we were talking about with The Vanishing. It's exciting, but in a very muted way. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, again, it's not tons of action Mm-mm. and cars crashing and then shooting people. It's nothing like that, but it works really well. And it's a yeah. great study in that. And it's so rare. Yeah, it's so rare that you see films like that. Like it's a, it's this cool genre movie, but it's really quiet and it's just not a lot happens. Yeah. Yeah. And they somehow master that balance. Yeah. Do you know anything about movies. this filmmaker and what? I don't. Um, I've never seen any of his other films. Okay. I don't, I don't know anything about him. Be curious. I watched like a making of sort of thing. Uh, and he seems like a pretty fast fascinating director. Ron Tomato said this was his debut, but I went to his IMDb and he had a ton of stuff. Not before. true. Yeah. Yeah, not. All right, Gibby, you're up next. But before Gibby does what he's about to do, Ooh. I, I want to issue an apology to the film community. You don't to, know what he's about to do. I know do. exactly what he's about to do and I hate what he's about to do. And I feel bad that we've <laughs> taken... my notes. No, I'm not. I haven't, I'm not I, but I don't know, but it's I, we've taken this precious jewel of a film and we were about to put it in the worst possible hands that we could. And I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, yeah. frankly. All right, so there are certain films in every filmgoer's life that you're told throughout your whole uh, career of film watching that you have to watch. You know these films. Uh, Shrek 2. Shrek 2. <laughs> Three of the best animated characters of all Indiana time. Indiana Jones and The Temple of Doom. 
Yeah, rules. This is one of those movies that I think any film historian or any film critic would say you'd have to watch. But for whatever reason, young Gibby never, ever saw it. What is the reason? Uh, We'll get into it. But anyway, Lance's pick for me is the number two AFI film of all time, number two on IMDb's top 100 of all time, a 100% Metacritic score. It's The Lord of the Rings Return of the King. <laughs> Every time you do this joke, no, I hate this joke. I'm oh, sorry, it's just another long movie. He chose for me to watch... The Godfather, part one. Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 epic about oranges and mumbled accents. This film follows the Corleone family, led by Vito Corleone, played by one Marlon Brando, who thought it'd be funny to talk with marbles in his mouth. It's really not. I thought they were um, or cloth, cotton balls. Cotton balls. Whatever is weird. I don't think he did it because he thought it'd be funny. I don't yeah, think he was going for humor. Funny. He's kind of a prankster. <laughs> what is it supposed to be? What's already the, going south. What's the choice there? Do we know? He saw film of a 1950s gangster who talked kind of funny, oh. and so he thought it would be interesting to make his character do that. And, and I'd, so he showed I'd up. say it made it very interesting. Yeah. I'd say it became interesting. You know. Okay, keep going. We've known each other many years, but this is the first time you ever came to me for counsel or for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee. Even though my wife is godmother to your only child. (laughs) The story begins with her. So the movie begins with a four-hour wedding. And uh, Vito talking to a bunch of other Italian guys. It's not true. It's everyone. clear that there's much respect for Don Vito, but he's getting older, and there are worries about the transfer of power from him to his kids. His sons, specifically, Sonny, Fredo, Michael, and adopted son, Tom. Michael's the youngest son who wants no part of the family. He's a decorated war hero and just wants to avoid it all. But guess what? He gets pulled in. <laughs> and two hours and 55 minutes later, the movie ends. So, And that's the Godfather. <laughs> that's the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> I had never seen this movie before. It became a point of like pride for my life that I had never seen this movie. Uh, there are a couple of times where I've been close to watching. I even bought it once. And it's Only in my once. DVD collection. Yes. Actually, maybe twice. <laughs> but then it became, I just never found the time. And then it became to a point like, why would I just want to watch it? I'm 41. You know, like I've never drank in my life. There's no point in starting drinking now. Uh, why would I watch The Godfather at age 41? There's a point in both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but my thoughts are, I liked it. Oh, really good film. I don't get it. It's 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 one of those weird things, you know. After forty years of buildup of this being one of the five greatest movies of all time, you go in and watch it, and it's not going to live up to whatever expectations are in your head. That's, That's fair. And I mean, it was very interesting to see all these cliches and quotes that I've seen out in the world right, for yeah. 40 plus years in their original form. And, you know, there's classic lines like, I'm going to make him an offer he can refuse. Leave the cannoli, no, take the balls. gun. <laughs> he actually I knew it was you, that. Jono. You broke my fingers. <laughs> Keep your friends close and your enemies far away. Uh, hey, why like, is there a horse ahead in my bed? Why is there a horse ahead in my bed? I was doing a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the guy who gets the horse ahead but it's not even Italian. <laughs> 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 well, Gibby, that it, what your synopsis will be studied in film schools for years to come. In a little bit of defense of Gibby, though, I felt like I saw this maybe late high school or something. And even by that point, it was built up so much. And there is something where you can be like, OK, that was a great movie, but it's just not my thing. Like, I don't really care for kind of, you know, gangster and crime and mafia movies just in general. And so this could be the greatest mafia movie of all time, and it is, but that just doesn't do it for me. It's not a movie that I'm going to want to revisit as much as I respect it 
this is not my thing. I, I see what you, I, I see what you're saying. I think you and I differ on this point a little bit, though, because to me, it doesn't really matter. A great movie is a great movie. Like yeah. I don't really get that wrapped up in. Like I, there is no genre out there, and let's take the one I probably hate the most: romantic comedies. There are a few mo- romantic comedies that are just great films that become my thing just by virtue of them being right. so great. So it's interesting you bring that up because there was a romantic comedy that I talked about in this show called It Happened One Night, mm-hmm. which is basically like the grandfather of all romantic comedies. Yep. And so any romantic comedy you watch back owes it to basically yes. It Happened One Night. Yes. And so The Godfather's a lot like that to me too. I don't think where I can appreciate like that. it. I, I see the parallel you're trying to make. I don't see it though because I, I don't feel like Godfather's been ripped off a million times. Do you think well, it has? And I, also I mean, I've were, seen it a whole bunch. Like, there were also many, many really great gangster films before The Godfather. Yeah. So it's I don't think it's a prototype. I think it's I think it's just incredibly well done storytelling. And now mm-hmm. I'm a little biased because I love gangster movies. But like this is just storytelling at its best. Mm-hmm. And acting and cinematography and music and I mean every aspect of this is brilliant and beautiful and so well done that I think you did appreciate that yeah I appreciate it Um, it's a beautiful film and one of the things that I love about movies if you've listened to the show is I love well like you said about Lance just beautiful images on mm -hmm. screen yeah and this movie has a lot yeah and look what I said earlier it's I get it's not your thing that's fine I don't mean that as a criticism at all I think it's just we view things differently in that regard no totally this movie to me I mean I, I didn't even really prepare remarks for it because I just I don't know there's so much I, I could feel like we could do a whole show yeah. on this this film but you know the things that stand out it's just everything comes together the music's amazing the storytelling's amazing the character's amazing the arcs are so believable mm-hmm. there was a show on a few years ago I'm sure most people have heard of called Breaking Bad which tells the story of this guy's kind of descent his fall from being a good man to being a terrible man and what I loved about that show is it was so believable and mm-hmm. I think Michael Corleone's journey here is it's a fascinating arc that every step of the way goes yeah Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I see how that would happen. Nothing yeah. nothing feels false. Every note they hit is perfect. Especially, I mean, you know, there were a couple of Godfathers after this one, which we may or may not get into. <laughs> you know, we talked before about a, a, a movie being like a symphony, and, and every instrument's played perfectly yep. here. I, I think that there's a reason people come back to this movie over and over again, and it's because no matter what you like in a movie, that it probably got that element right. Yeah, um, because it's it's got a lot of elements because it's yeah. three hours long. Well, it do, I, I know that you're really bothered by the length. I get that, <laughs> I but to me, no. But I mean, people do get wrapped up in that sometimes. And to me, a great movie could go on for seven hours. Like I don't really care oh, yeah. as long as it's bring great. it on. So yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, and I'm glad you finally saw. It. I mean, it, it is kind of a right. You do have to see the Godfather. I mean, I had eventually. known various parts that had happened. Like I knew Sonny got shot. And I knew that he didn't make it. I knew Marlon Brando didn't make it to the end of the movie. The character that surprised me most, though, was Duvall and mm-hmm. Tom Hagen. Man, I mean, I think so he's good. a fantastic character. Yeah, he's, he's, so an, he's a really interesting character. He's very interesting, being kind of the voice of reason and but that's logic the thing. and ethics. Every one of these characters you could have made its own movie about, yeah. and it would have been riveting. I mean, every one of these characters is so great. And we get the horse. Know, yeah, the horse. Yeah, yeah. Six hundred thousand dollars horse. Uh, and and Frito's really interesting. This movie's got a smaller part in this one mm-hmm. than the second one. But did you see a Frito? Frito. 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 Sponsored by Frito Lay. Yeah. No, just Fredo. Old John Cazale. Fredo works. Like Alfredo. Yeah. But I I liked it. Cool. <laughs> I did it. Done. Would you watch Thanks. it again? Yes. Okay. Well, let me. I didn't understand the whole. I understand why I went back to Italy, like that whole thing. But the whole part with the new wife over there. That's funny that you that you mentioned that because part of what I love about this movie is that it's not a fluff piece for anyone. Like it's not. 
praising Michael as this like yeah. great dude. It starts out that way. So yeah. you think that Michael's like this really good dude who's not gonna, you know, go along with what his family business is. And he's got this relationship that you love with Diane Keaton. And then he goes to Italy and like the first day that he's there, <laughs> he sees this woman and essentially asks to marry her. Yeah. And then he does. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me, that's the start of where I, I start to not like him at all. Yeah. Well, it sh- it shows that it was always under the surface for him. Right. He grew up in this world. He didn't want to be a part of it, but it was somehow infected him. You know? yeah. And right there, his loyalties changed immediately as soon as he saw something he wanted. Right. It's interesting. You're right. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. But, but again, I, I think I would say, Gibby, at some point, you should go back and rewatch it because every time I come back to this movie, I see new things. Mm-hmm. And I, I realize connections I didn't realize before. And it's on TV over and over and over again. all the time. Yeah, yeah. we can turn on right now, probably on. Yeah. Glad you enjoyed it as movie. much as you did. It's a good movie. I like it. Lance, you're up. If you go back to our very first episode, Gibby picked a movie that, for reasons I can't totally remember we made fun of him for probably because that's just what we do here i think it's none of us had seen it and the only thing we could do was make fun of it him was our it. only option <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the film is the black stallion the 1979 movie by carol ballard tells the story of alec a young boy who we meet aboard a ship with his father who comes across an unlikely passenger a black arabian stallion after an accident where the ship catches fire and sinks alec is stranded on an island with the horse the only two survivors of the shipwreck. A friendship is slowly forged between the two, who are eventually rescued as the story takes a turn when Alec goes to live with his mother and meets Henry, a horse trainer who teaches Alec to ride as he prepares to race his new friend in an effort to show the horse, who Alec has named Black, is among the fastest Alec's in the world. Alec's really original with his naming. Yeah, he's also very racist. <laughs> uh, also, I, is racing good for horses? Like, you got this best friend horse, hey, we're going to race you, really run you into the ground. The horse is fast. Uh, well, it could I make think, the horse a lot of money. Yeah. Horses naturally love to run. And horses care about money. No, horses love to run and love to make money. Yeah, having said that, you know, horses racing can also break their legs and get shot. So mm. <laughs> goes either way. Is that uh, what happens? I call this a film, but it's really two yeah. films with two very s- distinct halves. One before the rescue from the island and one after. The first half is a shipwreck film that feels like Castaway. The second half feels more like the plot line of a traditional Disney movie. This is such a hard movie to put your finger on. The characters don't talk that much. They rarely say what you'd expect them to say. It's very visual and slow moving. And again, Again, you feel like you're watching two separate movies. The film was actually shelved for two years by United Artists, and according to Ballard, it was because the executives complained, what is this, some kind of an art film for kids? <laughs> it wasn't I hope until... he said yes. <laughs> That's, That's correct. Can you please release it now? I worked very hard on it. It wasn't until Francis Ford Coppola found it and fell in love with it that the movie finally reached theaters, where it received critical acclaim and multiple Oscar nominations. But when you watch the film, you can understand what studio executives were apprehensive about releasing it. Even as I watched it for the first time a couple of days ago, I kept going back and forth on it. I love the tone and the cinematography, and the first half is particularly compelling in how it's shot as we see the friendship begin to emerge. But there were some things that kept bothering me and felt very off. We never see the boy really mourning his father. His relationship with his mother seems very muted. The Henry character isn't explained extremely well, and the camera often dwells and lingers on things longer than we'd expect. At times, that was a point of frustration for me. But as I got deeper into the film, I started to to see it through the eyes of the boy, which is what I think the director was trying to accomplish. Kids don't always talk about their feelings. They do tend to dwell on and stare at things and attempt to understand them more than adults do. They don't always demand context and a backstory for every person they meet, and their relationships with their parents can be very complicated. Shifting my perspective and trying to view this through the boy's eyes instead of my own helped me connect with this film, and by the time the final race happens, I was fully engaged, actively cheering this boy and this horse to triumph. The final scene is incredibly shot and puts you right in the middle of the race better than I think I've ever seen Mm -hmm. a film do, even a more modern film like Seabiscuit. This is a film that does something seemingly impossible, which is to pull off cliche without filling 
cliche at all, and it's a wonderful film. Gibby, I'm sorry we made fun of you in season <laughs> one. And to quote Black Stallion, <laughs> I want to watch Lance actively cheering during this movie. <laughs> yeah, go, Jumping on go my couch. Black! Yeah. Uh, I'm not sorry at all that we made fun of Gibby for this, but I'm glad that we've now made it full circle, yes. and at least yeah, two of us have watched it now, and we've all come to respect uh, Hudson has not Gibby's watched choices. the movie. Well, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it, Lance, and that's a very interesting perspective you wrote about the boy and how that he is kind of walled off and shelled off, because I was about the same age as the kid when, mm-hmm. when my mother died, so I think that may have been something that even affected me the most recently mm-hmm. that I watched, and that you just don't know how to talk. Mm-hmm. And there's one scene, I th- I'm just going from memory from seeing it a year ago, where he kind of breaks down a little bit mm-hmm. and i mean it's true it's just overwhelming and i i thought that that was an excellent uh oh, thank observation you. Of yeah. film. it's also a gorgeous film and i knew that you would like that this uh, the imagery is pretty stunning oh, yeah. especially the first half on the island and then there's that nighttime horse uh, the racing scene where he goes around. I thought that was well. There was um, there's this extended shot between the horse and the boy where there's it's like they're slowly starting to connect and he's trying to get the horse to I think eat something from his hand. Yeah, and it's this really patient shot. Like it goes it's and goes seaweed, and goes. It's, it's not yeah. It's not cut. There's not a lot of cuts and back and forth. But it's this very slow bringing together. And you've got to think the director is like, please God, please let this work <laughs> as he as he's filming because it went on for a while. But it's a great shot. And it's it just it just kind of lets you dwell on that moment. Huh. And it's such a critical moment in the film that yeah. really starts to you know veer things in a very different direction i sat down with my whole family and watched this movie oh, oh is this the movie you watched with the no this is well this is i watched this one with uh, my wife and my two daughters and uh i don't think any of them liked it but i really <laughs> really it. uh it takes a lot of patience it's, it is it's a slow movie and it, it's it's I, again those studio executives i get what they were talking oh, yeah. about they're they're sitting there going are kids gonna connect with us <laughs> well lily can't lily grew up with horses so she can't handle blood on a horse uh, and i i had she left the room and I'm yelling from the room. It's fake. It's fake blood. They just get squirted back. some fake. I thought you were yelling at her. On his leg. Sorry, get, really, get your ass that. back in here. <laughs> you watch it. Uh, so she had a really, really hard time, and I, I was, I was like, the horse, the horse is gonna. I mean, yeah. it's not gonna lose. Yeah. It's not gonna die. You, you know, there are sequels, Lily. It's the horse fine. has to live. I think my two-year-old. I think the kids didn't. They didn't hate it, but yeah. it, the. The shipwreck scene is terrifying and weird. The whole everything that happens on the ship is weird. There's a a poker scene where the boy's father is playing poker and no one is playing with chips. There's a fryer, like not like a not like an oil fryer, but like a like a um, monk, yeah, like a monk fryer guy who's playing poker with them. And as chips, he's using spaghetti noodles. Mm. And I I don't understand a little weird what's happening there at all. Like there, there's not poker? there's not much of a connection between the father and the son. Even no, no. no. it's very it's very odd. You're almost like, why is this kid even here? Yeah. Like, why did he even bring him? Yeah, which is probably like the Jesus allegory that they're trying to. I don't, I don't know what that. Means, nope, but, it's yeah. not. It is the dad from Gremlins, yeah. though. Oh, yeah, Boy that's Daxton. right. That's right. Ha. And you know, the boy keeps that chess piece with him yeah, the whole yeah. movie. And that's yeah. his, yeah, it's that's cool. the way he keeps his that's dad. His very cool. I thought Terry Gar was awesome yeah, as his great. mom. I really enjoyed all the scenes yeah. with his mom. Lance, you saying that it was from the boy's perspective is really interesting because one of the big questions I had after watching the movie was at one point the horse escapes in the city. And the boy spends all night running around looking for him. And he falls asleep in an alley. And he wakes up. And there's a horse and carriage with a driver. And the driver and the boy talk. And the driver knows exactly where the horse is. Well, first of all, the boy doesn't say anything. And the guy's like, you lost a black horse. Which is really (laughs) weird. And then he 
proceeds to tell him where the black horse is. And I thought, I was like, why are they bringing like magic into Like, this doesn't yeah, make any sense. This is so really. weird. And then um, later, I wasn't sure we'd meet that carriage driver again. And then we do later. But I don't think we ever see him interact with anyone else in the movie, which is strange because he seems to live or work on the farm that Mickey Rooney. Yeah, Mickey Rooney owns. And so I'm wondering if that character is real or not. Hmm. Could be. It's yeah. interesting. But from mm. the from the perspective of the boy, it makes more sense that these things wouldn't really be connected and he, mm-hmm. it would be, there would be magic. But it didn't seem like a movie that would have magic in it. Yeah. So I found that confusing. Yeah. it's It, it really did, though, like as I was watching it and my perspective really just shifted because I was trying to figure mm-hmm. this out. I was like, this movie's odd. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh, wait a second. This might be why it's odd because I'm looking at it through my eyes. Right. I'm supposed to be looking at it through this boy's like. eyes. And then everything started to make sense. Yeah. It was just different. What you have a joke, Hudson? <laughs> a little joke you want to? Yeah, like a serious comment. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and say it. I was going to say that carriage driver has been dead for a hundred years. I don't get you it. You saw old uh, man he's like a ghost. He's like a ghost. Oh, that's the, the ghost gotcha. So that's yeah. the big that's twist good. ending. Yeah. Good. I couldn't have won the race without old man Twilliger. Twilliger, <laughs> he's been dead since the war. <laughs> I still just contend that this is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen, and. Your boy Rebert loves it too in his four star review. <laughs> he does. Named the it the first best movie. half of the Black Stallion is so gloriously breathtaking that the second half, the half with all the conventional excitement, seems routine. We've seen that second half before the story of the kid, the horse, veteran trainer, and a big race. But the first hour of this movie belongs among the great film going experiences. It is described as an epic and earns the description. I agree, but I still, I, to reiterate what Lance said, like, that horse, the race, the actual race is it not is conventional well, at all. Ebert, it is so well done. And, and Ebert does say that. He says, while it does kind of delve into cliche a little bit, it's not bad. Like, it's still good. It's just, it feels a little disjointed with the first half, but it, it by no means hurts the movie. So, if you have listened to this show a lot, you know that Gibby, sound design is very important to Gibby. Mm-hmm. And the sound design during that race is some of the most remarkable sound design I've... I've the, the decisions that Ballard made to make the announcer, you see the announcer yelling into the mic, but you don't hear him mm-hmm. all you hear oh, is yeah. the sound of the horse and the sound of the crowd and the music which the music in this movie is unbelievably good yeah um the rest of this episode is just going to be that clip of the race. <laughs> yeah so here it is take it away <laughs> good 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 pick twice Gibby. thanks guys Is that another love? Is Gibby winning? Is that a love, Lance? Uh, he said know. it was wonderful. He didn't say it. Love, I think wonderful is love. So that's a no. It's a great. It's a great. Yeah, we'll go love. Oh wow! wow. All right. Well, I may Gibby's get the got, only hate Gibby's of the evening. Two apparently, loves. We don't know. <laughs> you already ruined it, Hudson. Jordan, you're up next. Ooh, oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> okay, uh, Hudson picked this movie for me, and it was written and directed by a man named Macon Blair a guy affiliated with at least two movies that I really loved, Blue Ruin and Green Room. 
This uh, this movie has no colors in the title, though. It's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Was he a, uh, the writer or the star of those? What was he? He starred in Blue Ruin. He may or may not have written it. I think he, he was one Blue of the Ruin. writers on Green Room, and he's also in it, but a much gotcha. smaller part. He's And he's written a number of things. He's done a lot of cool work. This movie is his directorial debut and also brought home a grand jury prize from Sundance 2017, which is no small potato. Hmm. It's a crime thriller about a woman who increasingly feels out of step with the world as she's just a decent person trying to inject some good into the world in whatever way she can. When she is burglarized and finds the cops to be a little less than helpful... She's burgled? She's bur- <laughs> she, she's burgled, yes. So far, Hudson's picks are both about women being burgled. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. What was my other pick? Uh, uh, attack the block. Started to get burgled in the beginning. Burgled. She decides to team up with her even more out of step neighbor to take down the criminals who robbed her. Things spiral more and more out of control from there. So naturally, all of y'all know exactly how I felt about it, right? Nope. No, I'm good. guessing you did not like it. I f-ing hated it, Gibby. What? Uh, largely because in addition to all the things I just said about it, it's also very much a comedy. Perhaps that's my fault, actually, for knowing nothing about the movie before I saw it, even though that's very much how I prefer to approach a movie. I don't know if I would call it very much a comedy. It's definitely got comedic moments, but I would not describe it as very much a comedy. I would describe it as trying to make every moment comedic. Is it trying to be like a Cohen, kind of like they... It's got some Cohen feel to it. The first eight minutes were fabulous. I loved the first eight minutes of this movie. Really smart, really great, really interesting perspective. And the, the her as a character was really, really interesting. I love her so much. I loved in her movie. in the first eight minutes. I thought she was really fantastic. Whole and then, movie, she's great. I agree. But and and the beginning, the first eight minutes, there is some comedy, but it it's pointed and I, I think really effective. Around minute twelve, I I did pretty much completely lost me. Was it related to Elijah Wood? Uh, yes. Yeah. Which I like Elijah Wood, but to me... He's a smidge out of place in this film. He is, and, and that shifted the tone in a way that, that just really didn't work for me. To be fair, I, I don't think it's the movie's fault. Uh, people love this movie. I think it was really, really well made. It's well shot. There's some really, really cool shots in it. But I, I just hated the tone. Uh, for me, that's because of what I bring to a movie when I watch it. Mm-hmm. And this kind of tone robs all weight of story and scene for me. Hmm. Leading example is in a big scene involving the criminals and some rich people and our main characters and a pile of wonderfully gory violence, which I thought was all set up in a really cool way. I, I, I thought the story was great. Yeah, I love the uh, vomit scene in that too, oh which is definitely played for oh you, right? Oh boy. Yeah, so the, the tone allows, in that scene specifically, the, the tone of the movie allows for her to just incessantly vomit. Yeah. And it pulled the rug out of yeah. any any connection. It's I almost have. like Team America levels of vomit. Oh, no, really? totally. Yeah. It's, and she's just like every shot, she's in the background just like spewing. <laughs> and it, how it wasn't Hutchin distracting. It's funny. <laughs> He's laughing already. Right. It, it is funny, but that scene is also like people dying. Yeah, no, and, I get and that. Horrible it's totally, violence. And, but, but to me, the third act where she's kind of running from the guy is very, very serious. And there's nothing funny in that bit. And so I feel like it plays with tone a little bit. It does. You're right. And I mean, it's made after, me a little confused with after it. that scene, it gets very serious. Yeah. Although I had kind of a hard time taking it seriously, which I imagine you didn't, because the lead bad guy is a man named David Yao, who is the singer for a band that I love called the Jesus Lizard. Huh. And so it the just Jesus felt a Lizard weird. Mary Jane? Nope. No. 
It's a different band. The Jesus Christ Superstar Lizard? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, what's weird is that maybe all my friends already knew this about me, but I'm having this sort of crisis as I approach 40 where I realize that I'm a very serious person, which you guys... I didn't know any of this, no. Hmm. You think you're too serious? It's not that I'm... I don't think... I think I'm a fine amount of serious, but I'm more serious than I thought that I was. I got, And I'm too serious for a tone like this. So, like, I want... When a story is weighted like this, I want to really sit in it and feel it and be in it. And so anything that takes me out of that, which this tone completely takes me out of it, I'm just... I'm too serious for it. Like, I can't have fun watching this movie. Hmm. Weird. So while I understand that lots and lots of people love a really fun and humorous and exciting and entertaining movie like this, it just highlights something I experience more and more lately, which is that I'm... I'm too serious and that I too uh, don't feel at home in this world anymore. Interesting. Yeah, Why no, did I, you pick this for Jordan? That is a great question. I thought this would be right up Jordan's alley. Oh um, no, you don't know me at all. It's the... <laughs> <laughs> the two guys who spent the most time with each other. Yeah. In the past I, I, lo- I love this movie for the very reasons Jordan doesn't love it, which mm-hmm. is it covers all the bases of tone, which is a thing that I love. I love to laugh and scream and cry and do everything throughout a movie. I do and too, if it's if it's naturally I right. think, funny. I, I think you're a lot more like me, Jordan. Like oh, you yes. get, it, it gets confusing. It, oh, like, yeah. You and I have talked about this a few times with movies where it's like, you know, oh, there's a big action scene and then they throw a joke in the middle. You're like, what? Wait, what? Like, right. But I feel this movie is so, I don't know, maybe to me it came off more subtle than it did to you, all of those pieces. I'm I, sorry, I, but incessant projectile vomiting is not subtle. Uh, well, I've, I've seen it before. <laughs> not under those same circumstances. No, but I also, uh, I know you appreciate Melanie Linsky as an actress. Yeah. Um, I thought you'd be into that and in, in the kind of crime portion of it. Um, and the kind of uh, quiet moments, which maybe there's not enough of that in it. I'd say definitely not enough. Uh, and then kind of, and then also just the, um, I enjoyed the kind of theme it was exploring of this person trying to do good in an evil world. And if that was possible or not anymore, I felt like it had some depth to it. I think it did too, that I think was completely pulled out from under it because of the tone. Yeah. I thought the gore was really good. I thought the masks, the masks that the criminals wear were really cool. I thought that was one of the best parts of the movie. Cool. Um, Cool. But no, it it didn't work for me. So you say you loved the masks? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, that's great. Nailed it. Nobody nobody else saw this movie? What are you doing? Nope. Nobody else. No. What are you doing? It's on I'm Netflix. Keeping it's way easier to watch scores. than I had to watch mine. Just right. keeping points. Yeah, it would have been really hard to watch. I am keeping points. Uh, uh, so we're through two rounds, and uh, I'm in the lead. It's not a contest. That's right. the, you know what's funny? <laughs> it kind of is. That's the only reason you're keeping scores. because you know <laughs> you're, you're in the really lead. Really so I'm now, get, I think I'm now afraid really I'm about to get negative four points. Well, why not? We don't know that. Well, you've already... Okay. It wouldn't be an episode of Four Friends Fight About Film if Gibby didn't break the rules somehow. <laughs> this time, by talking about the same damn movie over two episodes. You've for talked the second about, time in this episode. You've talked about about time twice, yourself. You picked that movie twice. So, you've already heard the description of this film back in episode 10, the uh, director episode, but I guess I'll cover it again because Gibby. Didn't you get mocked enough in that episode? Yeah, you but just, you're just coming back for more? Asking for more. Gibby was, Gibby was the only person that saw that movie for that episode, and so there's no way that anyone has any idea what that movie's actually about. Well, it sounds like that's about to change. <laughs> well, also... Like, I took this job seriously. I wanted to yeah. pick movies that I thought you guys would like. No, I did too. Yeah. Well, as opposed to picking ones that you I, just wanted the not, other person no, to see. No, that's not. Yeah. 
No, I thought, okay, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. Defending Your Life is a 1991 film written by, directed by, and starring Albert Brooks. It's a fantasy rom-com, or basically my favorite genre, so I get why Gibby would recommend this for me. Fromcom. <laughs> Albert Brooks plays Daniel Miller, an ad exec, because according to the movies, everyone in the 80s and 90s were apparently ad execs. Uh, he dies in a car accident and is then sent to Judgment City, where he stands trial for his life, and a pair of judges decide whether he has to do life over again on Earth, or if he's ready to move on to heaven. That's very similar to how I described it in episode 10. Yeah. I doubt Directed that. Yeah, I doubt it, too. <laughs> Although, apparently, only white people go to Judgment City, because that's all that's in this movie. Oh, comes a little well, race. There's also a, a, I didn't know we were going to get off. Oh, no, there's some great uh, Asian stereotypes in there when they go to a, the <laughs> only Asian That's true. They go to a sushi <laughs> bar. Never been to a sushi bar with white people cutting the sushi. Then you've made good decisions about which <laughs> sushi bars you went to. There you go. And here's the major flaw of defending your life. There's zero tension up until the last 20 minutes of the movie. These trials that he goes through, it's not like they judge his life and decide whether he goes to heaven or hell. Going back and doing life again doesn't seem that bad. No, I, I, when I put myself in that character's position up until the last 20 minutes, I was like, oh man, I'd love to go back yeah, and yeah, live yeah. That, it's like, not that bad. do another life. Oh, man, I, uh, don't, I don't know. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not your life. You're into another life. That, I, You're that's totally different. That could be even worse. Yeah, you get to start over. Or it could be so much or better. better. Yeah. Oh, Yours couldn't it. be worse. It would, it would have to be better. Um, and even, <laughs> even the case Jeez. itself, the judges, the way they introduce it, they're like, we kind of already know what's going to happen. We're just kind of jumping through these hoops to see your life or whatever. And the entire premise of the film has very little stakes until he meets and falls in love with Meryl Streep. The second biggest flaw in this is that Albert Brooks expects you to like him just because he's funny. But there is nothing else redeeming about this guy. And you spend the whole film wondering what Meryl Streep sees in him, which she's fantastic in this, of course, and seems to be single handedly trying to save the film. But then you feel sorry for her for falling in love so quickly <laughs> and so deeply with such a doofus. And it it makes you like her less because clearly she's got some sort of issues that she falls for this guy. Mm -hmm. So you got your low stakes premise, unlikable protagonist, surface level love story, but maybe they're trying to say something deep about life and death and purpose. Nope. Oh, they totally are. It's the same damn message every rom-com ever has. <laughs> yep. Be brave and take a fight for what you love, which is shown through the equivalent of a running to the airport scene in the final scene of this movie. For a far superior version of this movie, check out A Matter of Life and Death, which, have we talked, Ooh, did we talk about movie. Before? I don't know if we've hit that yeah. now. Nope. But a very similar premise and much better, much better film. <laughs> Sounds old and but black, black and white. This film has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So what do I know? It's because no one's seen it. <laughs> There's like 31 reviews. Yeah. Uh, well, in fact, that's who saw it. The Ebert, three and four, three and a half stars. Yeah. Oh. So the, the only reviewer that I could get to agree with me is <laughs> Ken Hank with Mountain Express in Asheville, <laughs> North Carolina, which I can only assume is his Christmas family newsletter. <laughs> it's actually spelled the, the letter X press. Wow. So I'm so glad now that I didn't watch all of Gibby's Albert Brooks movies picks in the previous episode because Gibby's review of this was way more entertaining than the movie itself. <laughs> So, Gibby, yeah. let's hear your defense of defending your life. I'd like to say real quick, I'm actually working my way through Ken Hanks' great movies list. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. So my defense is what you railed against in that it talks about things that have been talked in romantic comedies for years. Oh, yeah, I agree. Being yeah, <laughs> afraid. But to me, as a guy who's somewhat are very insecure and self-conscious. Yeah. Albert Brooks, I relate to like his life on earth. Yeah. Okay. Like, that may be our fault. That's a, that's a really so, underserved. So, so okay. That's like every character in every romantic comedy. 
when we when we got here today i told gibby gibby i learned something about you last night and here's what it is gibby sees himself as albert brooks (laughs) they have the same hair they're both funny Hmm. i think you relate to albert brooks as a person so deeply that he is one of your favorite i love albert brooks yeah Hmm. it's and it's really it it just just a very personal thing for just i'd only seen that movie about the road trip in america yeah lost in america before i yeah it was fine yeah i mean it was it was was nothing to hate about it it was fine which is exactly how i feel about this movie it was fine there were some really funny parts yeah the end i knew exactly what was going to happen and it was lame and they spent all their money on this house fire the whole budget was spent on this house fire (laughs) uh, because everything else takes place so but you're saying what what i think you're getting is there is a layer of these that only gibby can relate to (laughs) right i mean because it's just it's a unique film got a 97 percent, so other people must have related to it i think he sees himself so deeply in albert brooks i think he when he looks in the mirror he sees albert brooks i think you relate with the characters that albert brooks writes i do and and uh do you see albert brooks from drive no not (laughs) not 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 recent albert brooks we'll go up to well he didn't write that part mother there's nothing wrong with that i'm no 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 i think it's great it makes a lot it actually does kind of explain it a little bit so when i was attacking albert brooks a second ago where did you feel those attacks personally it's okay to say yes gibby a little bit uh What's funny about it. this movie is that I think that it is the most low energy movie I've ever seen it's in my entire life. life. I mean, it just, we, me and my whole family sat down last night and watched this movie <laughs> and we were all just like kind of dazed yeah. because it was so low energy. It was like watching some little old lady cross the street for an hour. It was, yeah. It's boring. It's boring except for the scene where, what did she call it? The compilation of general misjudgments, <laughs> which is just this montage of a bunch of misjudgments judgments that albert brooks's character made in his life and it is hilarious we were all laughing out loud miss foster oh your honors at this time i'd like to present a compilation of general misjudgments half of them fear-based half of them just stupid i've assembled 164 misjudgments over a 12-year period and then we went right back to (laughs) just just kind of slumped over you're you're you could be right i am an albert brooks and I do see myself in him quite a bit. I thought there were interesting ideas in this, like in Judgment City, which seems like heaven. So you're, you go to Judgment City and it's like all the food is amazing and you can eat as much of it as you want and you're taken on a tram everywhere. But Albert Brooks makes, makes a point of making absolutely every one of those great things get ruined. Yeah. So like he sits down to this food and he's like, he takes a bite of this omelet and he's like, these are the best eggs I've ever had. And, and then someone immediately comes and says, all right, you got to go. It's time to go. Yeah. He gets on the tram and it's like, yeah, it's a beautiful day. It's 74 and sunny. And this old woman behind him starts telling him a story. <laughs> and it's it's just like everything there is hell, even though it should be heavenly, which, which I thought was cool. Yeah. You make me think of my little poodle. Do you have a dog? I did have a dog, yeah. Oh, well, I'll tell you about my dog. I had a little... Have you got a while? Yeah, go ahead. That's funny. But as a whole, it was just fine. Sorry, Gibby. Hey, well, you liked it okay. I did not love it. Zero points. Zero points for Kyle. Still keeping score now? I'm sorry, Hudson. I feel bad. (laughs) When we do this next in two seasons again, I'll get you a better one. You know who else would feel bad is Albert Brooks right now. Yeah. 
I think he, I, I don't but think I, he'd care. Yeah, I don't. He I don't either. He doesn't care. seem like a guy that cares. I, I really actually. He's a guy that also. I mean, one of the things I like about Al Brooks is he's a guy that seems like he doesn't care, but then cares way too much about what other people think about him. So is part of it that you see yourself in Albert Brooks, but you also wish you could be more like Albert Brooks? Like you wish you could oh, just only not like care career about, wise. In no, Albert I don't even mean that. Yeah. I mean his personality, where he. I don't know. I'm just wondering how he much he definitely of it is. cares what other people in the film think about yeah. him. But I think you're funnier than Albert Brooks. Oh, thanks, Jordan. I think I nah. was. <laughs> uh, Lance hasn't seen any Albert yeah, Brooks I movies. I can't really comment on it. I, re- I have a lot of respect for Albert Brooks that during this time he was he was writing and yeah. directing I mean, and producing his own. These, yeah, getting to finance. Which, that, so. which I think is cool. He was just doing his thing and putting it out there. And Yeah, but maybe he shouldn't have. I don't. I don't. I, w- I wouldn't go that far. I think it's do your thing, you know? Yeah. But like, you know, do cast you Tom Hanks or something. Tom, a movie would have been better with Tom Hanks in the lead. Well, well what movie? Would, what have. movie is? It? I mean, Revanche <laughs> would have been so much day. better with Tom Hanks. I'll tell you what movie would Godfather. be better with Tom Hanks. My next film. That that, that kid you're, in Black Stallion. You're, you're, you're not, you're not Black Black Hanks. Hanks. <laughs> Nice segue into my movie. <laughs> I'm next. No, you're not. No, Lance is next. Oh, sorry. This next film was picked for me by Hudson. It is How to Train Your Dragon, the 2010 film co-directed by Dean Dubois. <laughs> can't have said that right like Chris Sanders tells the story of Hiccup a young blacksmith growing up in a Viking culture where the slaying of dragons is both a way of life and a determination of one's manhood Hiccup is a fish out of water in every sense a small physically weak boy in a culture where brawn and strength are heavily prized as he tries to climb the social ladder and win the respect of his father Hiccup uses his intellect to successfully bring down a night fury a dragon no one has ever seen let alone captured but his kind nature causes him to strike up a friendship with the dragon, which he names Toothless, where he learns things about dragons that lead him to believe there is more to these magical creatures than he and his culture ever imagined. Doesn't Night Fury sound like a great like '70s rock band? Yeah, it might probably be. was. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there any relation to Jesus and the Lizard Mary chain? <laughs> <laughs> nope. At any rate. Um, Disney hit the template for animated films like this and got so good at them that they've almost felt like they roll off the, the line of a factory. There's always a boy or a girl who feels trapped, believes they were destined to be more, usually held back by a parent or a culture, and they must overcome the odds to become accepted and live the life they've always dreamed of. That's Snow White, that's Cinderella, that's Beauty and the Beast, that's Little Mermaid, the list goes on and on. Change a few details, put it in a new setting, and you've got a new movie. How to Train Your Dragon definitely hits a lot of those marks, but I really liked this movie because yes. it does some things to break out of that mold. It becomes more than just a story about this kid becoming popular and well-liked without having to change who he is. It really becomes about him bridging the gap between these two different worlds and how he helps the humans understand the dragons. Obviously, there are a lot of metaphors in there that could be applied to a lot of real-world scenarios, but without even taking it there, I really liked how it became a much bigger story than just the main character and more about how he ends up not just bettering himself but his entire society. That was kind of a fresh thing that we don't see in these types of movies. It's a very tight story that was obviously thought through very intelligently. The different types of dragons, the fact they're living in their own oppressive world as we learn that they're subservient to a larger evil in the form of the hive leader. The way that Hiccup uses what he's learning from Toothless to believably tame the other dragons. It all just fits and works and the story keeps going to interesting places in a way that's very fun and satisfying. I'll say Hudson, I appreciate you picking this because I think I sometimes forget to just relax and have fun at the movies. This is the type of film that I overlooked because it was easy to stereotype it as mindless children's movie. But in the same way the Viking culture overlooks Hiccup because of what he appears to be, it was a nice reminder to me not to do the same thing to movies based on appearances. Oh, lessons. Aww. I'll say that the reason I picked this for you is that most people may think of Gibby as the animation guy, but in my mind it's always Lance who truly loves the art form of animation the most. Yeah, not you, Gibby. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> no, there's 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 truth in that. And if you go back to our... Gibby just likes colors. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Gibby. 
I, I did grow up obsessed with Disney movies, animated movies, and I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole story again. But if you go yeah. back to our, our Life Stories episodes, I explain why I kind of had to break away from that a little bit. So I, it's, a, it's a thing that's always been a part of me. It's a thing I've always loved. It's a thing I kind of put on the shelf and moved away from. And, and finding a movie like this kind of brings me back to that a little bit. And I, I really enjoyed this ride. That's great. Yeah, I wanted to suggest something that might crack through that cynical exterior you've built up over the yeah, years. And it did. Yeah. The father issues, too, in there. I mean, not that you oh, have father man. issues, but it's father story. Yeah, father it is. Story. It is. It's very, it's very much that. Kind of like The Godfather in that way yeah very similar this to me is is hands down the best non-disney non-pixar animated film since iron giant like i i I'd agree i just flipped mm-hmm. over this one i think part two is just as good it is i think i think it yeah, might be better very touching mm-hmm. yeah. and again it, I, and I think i said this probably twice already but i think it's such an important point to come back to it's the main character doesn't really change that much he's kind of the same guy at the end but he changes the whole world around mm. him and i love yeah. that yeah. it was that's such cool. an interesting yeah, yeah. i just can't think of many movies where that's happened mm-hmm. i really really enjoyed that he doesn't have a bottom half of his leg by the end of the movie so that's also true change. so he's yeah. different thank yeah. you Gibby. Yeah. yes yeah. Yeah. He's he's not really what i meant yeah I guess technically yeah. he's slightly older at the end too. That's not really my okay. point. Peach uh, was. I love this movie, and it's been my six-year-old's favorite movie for years. Is there already a sequel? Yeah, yeah. and it's brilliant. It's great. The sequel's great too. Yes, very, very, very. Somebody else didn't hear it all. Yeah, he wasn't listening. A it's minute okay. and a half ago. I'm sorry, I missed that. I, no, I missed that there was. A, okay. I, I knew there was going to be a sequel, but I didn't know it had already come out. It was yeah. mixed in with Godfather jokes. So, yeah. so <laughs> I went back and watched this again a couple weeks ago with my two-year-old who hadn't seen it yet, and she loved it and for the next two weeks after that we'd just be riding in the car and everything would be, be quiet and she'd go dad that was a fun movie <laughs> and one night i was putting her to bed and she was quiet for 10 minutes and i was just sitting in there and i thought she was asleep and so i went to get up and the bed creaked a little bit and she goes dad that was a fun movie <laughs> and that's awesome. and that's i mean it is really yeah. fun but i almost cry every yeah. time i oh, watch yeah. it yeah uh, it's really, That's really powerful. Well, I, ne- I do, of course. <laughs> I, I never, I never had any like major emotional. Oh, the, hit. St- uh, the oh, second the fa- one has. Yes, the second one does. Okay. The, the father son stuff. But in the I first was just, one, I was, was just really impressed powerful. with it. I just yeah. thought the story was great. I thought it kept like, like I said earlier, going to these new places in a very believable. I mean, as much as you know, dragons. But I mean, yeah. given the context it sets up, it was like everything just was good. Like the next yeah. steps always made sense. It was just very tight. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. like that. The flying scenes in this movie are excellent. Really yeah. cool, I mean, yeah. So cool. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's also one of the most beautifully animated movies yeah. I've, I've ever seen. That there's a big climactic fight scene with the hive leader that basically creates this like thunder cloud, mm-hmm. and we see these wide shots of all these clouds and the fighting going on inside of it, and it's just gorgeous. Well, that, but it's also it's got moments that were legitimately I don't know if I want to use scary, what the right word mm-hmm. is, but. Yeah. But Heavy. one of the the scene where uh, they're flying on Toothless's back, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by dragons. Oh yeah, that was intense. Yeah. And then the first time we see the hive leader, the queen, I guess yeah. that's what it is. The first time we see the queen in that in that like inside the mountain, and then it breaks out of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And just some of those scenes were like, whoa, like you're really engaged with it. Yeah. And and that's not something I can remember feeling in many animated films. Right. Um, an actual sense of fear or dread, but mm-hmm. you definitely get it here. I mean, what an amazing accomplishment that you can reach a, a two year old and a. Four- 40 year old mm-hmm. yeah. for the film. I mean, that's that's impressive. She's not nearly as depressed as I am. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not even a little bit. Yeah. So, great pick, Hudson. Thank you. Was Two that loves a, for love. Yeah, we'll go for love. Wow. So, the last film that I was asked to watch 
is going to be completely different than this third film that Jordan picked for me to watch. Are you going to do the, the Godfather same Godfather damn part two. Okay, good. <laughs> you were going to do that same damn joke again. No, I went straight to it this time. Okay. So the Godfather <laughs> part two. The Godfather now. part two. The other movie I was asked to watch was the Godfather part one. So this is part two. I had never seen it, but it is number three in IMDb's top 250. Number 32 on the AFI's top 100 film and has a, a high super Metacritic score. I, don't, I couldn't be bothered to look that up. But part two follows Michael as he is now the actual godfather, taking over the same position and all the problems that come with it for being the head of the family. Film starts as Michael is scheming and making Machiavellian moves to grow and protect his family through something with a guy named Hyman in Florida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't quite understand all of that. But, but the film also follows young Don Vito in the early 1900s, showing how he went from a mute immigrant to the head of the most powerful family in the new york mafia godfather 2 i love this movie what really Really? i really loved part two what the nice both a prequel and a sequel yes which is i think that may have been what i liked it and i and i like that it did cut back and forth wow guys he loved godfather 2 like my respect for you just went from zero to one (laughs) i'm so excited (laughs) a scale of 100 (laughs) i was really i mean part of the thing i loved that there was a lot more, I don't know if movement's the right word, but a lot more like scheming in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you see Michael's brain work, certainly in the first half of the film, than in the second half, but more than in The Godfather. Because Godfather, everything just sort of, at the end, mm-hmm. kind of all just... It's more. It's definitely more plot-driven, yeah. I think, for sure. You're, well, it, I, you might could make the argument that the first one is like an origin story, like we talk about with superhero movies. Yeah. And the second one lets you really get into the meat of these characters yeah. and put them in the in the world. But yeah. it's but it's what you said earlier. The second one is both prequel and a yeah. sequel. And I, I think that balancing act of the narratives, and again, it's like you were talking about for me earlier, I love interesting narrative schemes. No movie's ever done anything quite like this. Yeah. And that's what's so riveting, to go to the future and the past, just back and forth, and in ways that seamlessly cut together between each other, like the cuts make sense. Yeah. This was a hell of a hard movie to make, and he pulled it off about <laughs> as well as I think he possibly yeah. could. It's amazing. It definitely took a long time to make it. It was like a four-month, five-month shooting schedule. Yeah, and he somehow made an incredible movie between these two movies. Mm-hmm. Coppola was just on fire. Yep. One of the things that I, I really loved De Niro, mm-hmm. just young Vito, and I found it very interesting that, I mean, he basically spoke six words of English in the whole movie. And, I mean, that's a... I know Lance dogs on actors all the time, but that's a pretty impressive acting gig to not only learn Sicilian, but also oh, yeah. speak it in Marlon Brando's weird accent from the first movie. Padre si chiama Antonio Andolini. I mean, he's good. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Lance is going to dog any actors in this one. Yeah. No. No. I also loved how dark Michael gets in this movie. Oh man! Because in the first movie, certainly the first seventy-five percent of that movie is a pretty light character. Then you know, at the very end, like the last scenes where he says he didn't kill Carlo, uh, you can tell he started to turn the dark side, and this yeah. one just gets even further. God, the There's stuff nothing with him better than that dead-eyed stare that he has, mm-hmm. and he does it multiple times through the movie, mm-hmm. where you can tell that his soul and morals are just gone. And then the Diane Keaton scene at the end, it's like he just... He's done. Just keeps cutting back to yeah. him, giving her that look, and it's amazing. Yeah. And, and all the tension after that, like yeah. after... The divorce and it's just it's just brilliant. I would argue it's a more beautifully shot film. Oh yeah, too not not because the first film's not beautifully shot, but I think the nature of where the story goes gives it better material to work mm-hmm. with. Um, the scenes of uh, young Don when he 
gets to America for some all of that stuff when he's looking at the reflection of the Statue of Liberty and that that, that shot is one of the great yeah. moments in film history. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff and the way the cinematography changes, so you know, kind of you're in different times. I mean, just all of it is so so good. And it's another film where everything just comes together perfectly. I think it's such a hard way. I feel like we've talked about this on a previous show, but that question, which is better, The Godfather One or Part Two? And I think I was saying the answer is whichever one you watched the most recently. <laughs> yeah. There's so it's so hard to to pick one. Well, give me uh, pick number it's, two. It's number two. That's well, that's <laughs> pretty, pretty easy. Well, yeah. and and yeah. there's real weight to that because having not seen it neither until now and watching them at the same time, I think Gibby's opinion on which one is better is yeah. And and, and, and some, part of it could the be the most recent. Bogged down by yeah. what I said, what I said in the first one, and that the Godfather Part One, I kind of knew where everything was going. Sure. And in this one, I had the general sense of everything going. I know uh, Fredo betrayed him, but it happened a lot earlier in the movie than I thought. And so I think that I mean, there's one of the things I love about this film is that he takes time for sort of random scenes that didn't really have to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene between Fredo and Anthony just sitting out in the dock. It's about a four or five minute scene. I think just it talking has about to be fishing. in there. And it's yeah. just, it's so decompressed from everything else going on in the mm-hmm. movie that it was kind of a relief, even though you knew that there's also this dark cloud hanging over it. Fredo is great in this movie. Oh, he's so good. Lance is talking about this being a beautiful film. To me, my favorite shot in the whole film is uh, after the funeral or something and uh, Fredo sitting in this room with windows and Michael comes in to talk to him and in the background's snowy and mm-hmm. Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. And just the way that that was framed and composed was... What is, what's the guy's name who plays Fredo? John Cavazelli, something yeah, like Cavazelli. that. He's so yeah. amazing in that scene. He's, He's great. He, five movies, all five are nominated for Best Picture. He's a guy you would still see in movies today. He Absolutely. tragically died very young. I think he had cancer like or cancer. something. Yeah. Um, but it's he's a shocking guy, movie he's a, where he He's a guy you would scene. still see probably today in movies oh, absolutely. If, he'd, if he'd lived he's longer. so good. Do you like the part, Gibby, where he's like, when Al Pacino's like, yeah, I'm the godfather. Ha, 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 I also love it in the 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 whole courtroom scenes. This kind of came out of nowhere mm-hmm. to me. I must have missed the part where they're talking about it, or maybe it's just not even a part they're big talking about it. And I watched it with my wife, Crystal. She's like, why are they in court? And I was like, I don't know. But then there's the... Uh, <laughs> well, the you scene. did watch it in 45-minute increments, Yeah, that's right? true. The, the scene. It's never a good idea for future uh, investigators of the court. It's never a good idea to tell a supposed head of a criminal family that you're bringing in a witness next Monday that's going to destroy everything. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad idea. Not a good idea to let him know four days ahead. So... My big question is, are you ready to watch Godfather 3? I would like to see Godfather 3, but I have also know it takes place, you know, 17 years later. Mm-hmm. And I said before we filmed that two of these three movies that we watched, I'd love the final shot, and I'd love the final shot of this movie, which is Pacino years later, with the graying hair and receding hairline, just realizing... Yeah. what he's become well if you love that shot you might just love godfather <laughs> three yeah maybe i've never seen three has anybody read this book no be curious how close it is to like godfather films. two apparently i've read the trivia it has nothing to do my with girlfriend has read the book she loved the book she's never seen the movies oh. either so weird uh, and there was a new book a couple of years ago where fredo lives and mm. it's sort of fredo's story after oh. that the godfather part two ha i love pacino's acting when he just starts yelling all of a sudden like i almost died myself it was also relieved in my home in my bedroom where my wife sleeps where my children come and play with their toys i've never seen a whole lot of pacino movies so this is you know probably the fifth oh, or really? sixth one i've seen i knew it was you fredo so, so what's the, what's the score up to? Are we tied yet? I think. Um, well, let's see. By the way, it's kind of bullshit. Give me, give me that I pick Jordan. one and he doesn't like it, and I put two. <laughs> well, 
I think Jordan's winning. Nice to win. Oh my gosh, can't wait for the next segment. Can't wait, can't wait. Everybody's just going to have to bear with me on this one because this has been 19 years in the works. Lance picked this next movie for me. I'll tell you what it is in a second. A little history first. Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope was probably the first movie I ever fell in love with. I don't have any recollection of the first time I saw it, not because it didn't have an effect on me, but because it kind of feels like it was always just there. Mm. I do remember the first time... I almost just cried. That was weird. Oh, cool. (laughs) I do remember the first time I saw Empire Strikes Back. I was at a friend's house, and it was just starting, and I I remember thinking, whoa, there's more than just the first one? And just, like, my whole world opened up. I don't know how it got past me that there was... A second one, but it did. This was probably 1986. A New Hope, in its original VHS release, which contained very few changes from the original theatrical release, unlike all the later home video versions, was one of the only three movies that we owned growing up, not counting the copy of Pretty Woman, which was kept in my parents' bedroom. (laughs) The original Star Wars trilogy was like a friend to me. I would watch them every time I got sick and was able to watch the tube all day. This went on into my 20s, and beyond that, it was a mutual friend to me and a majority of my friends. Occasionally, Mom and Dad would let me leave the compound where they taught us about survivalists and how the government was coming for us. Uh, It was something to talk about, joke about, and reference at any given moment. My experience is not a unique one. There are literally millions of us that feel this way about it. There are millions of us at this table who feel that way about it. So in the late 90s, when it was announced that George Lucas would finally be making a triumphant return to the Star Wars universe to create the three prequels, it felt like virtually all of Earth's population wet their pants in anticipation of what many believed to rival the second coming of Christ. All I could think was, I got a bad feeling about this. Thus, in 1999, when every block was wrapped in queues of Star Wars fans waiting to see Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, I wasn't one of them. How old were you at this time? 18. I uh, spent the night in one of those lines. Really? <laughs> oh, don't you laugh, Hudson. You did too. I wasn't there. I didn't see that on opening night. Yeah, I didn't see it in opening night. Not on opening night, night when we camped out for tickets. I don't think I did that. Was that like, was you and Steve. Me, Steve. Steve and John Gordon, I. And, no, wow. That's not, We'll figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real Gibby segue there. I mean, a Gibby... Uh, <laughs> what, theater, what theater did you see it in? Do you remember? Tidbit? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately. I refused to see this movie. It was during this time that Lucas also released his special edition of the original trilogy. I had a bad feeling about that as well. So I never saw the special editions or any of the prequels. And none of the recent sequels. I wasn't going to allow anything to ruin my unadulterated Star Wars experience, my childhood. And you I hel- still have that experience. I don't see why that would ruin it for you. Because it muddies the water. Why? Because it, it, it discounts the originals by... It just, it Keep just, going. It Keep just going. I, I see what you're saying. but We're going to be here a while. And I, I held true to that commitment for 19 years. It all came crashing down about a week ago. Lance's pick for me is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Can I give some context to this real quick? Sure. Okay. I don't know. I don't interrupt your No, go for it. I got a little criticized for picking this for you, and I actually felt a little bit bad because I I was trying to appreciate the purity that you had in your head. But I didn't pick this for you because I thought you were going to hate it. I picked this because I really wanted to hear your opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And additionally, you have sometimes shocked all of us by liking some movies that a lot of people hate. So I really thought there was a possibility you were actually going to like this. There there might be. Yeah. Okay. This, This film has haunted and plagued me for years. (laughs) <laughs> and I and it's I, I, I because 
it's hard for me to properly explain what was so disappointing about it. I, I think part of it was I wanted like an ally and trying to help understand mm. it a little bit. And I was thinking maybe you could give me some insight. But keep going. Maybe I will. Yep. Well, let's get into it. We've all heard plenty of criticism of this movie. None of it is wrong. Virtually everything about this movie is beyond terrible. It would be fun to list all the things horribly awry in this film, but that would take all night, which we don't have, I guess. Do we? No, we don't. Oh, okay. Because I'll do it. You, you got about 10 minutes. <laughs> We've actually had many segments where Jordan has started him out like this and ended up liking the movie. Yeah. I believe the judgment of The Phantom Menace hinges on two things. One, this movie had truly great potential. The story itself is actually pretty cool. It's got some fun twists and turns, and the political aspects of the Empire's rise to power is really quite interesting. And the core story apparently came from Lucas's first draft of A New Hope. But this is where nearly every morsel of possible greatness stops. Enter... <laughs> the second hinge, George Lucas as director. Mm -hmm. I'll commend him for the two good decisions he made during the very long making of this atrocity. A, the casting of Ralph Brown as the captain of that dumb-looking chrome SR-71 Blackbird ship. Nope, I didn't know that guy's name was Ralph Brown either until I looked it up because as the one well-casted individual in the movie, I thought his name should be said. Don't mishear me here. There are a slew of great actors in this movie. Problem is that Lucas asked them to use a two by four as inspiration. <laughs> Ralph Brown at least looked like he belonged in a Star Wars movie. The other thing that I think deserves praise is that pod racer scene. The sounds alone in that scene were awesome. Yeah. And with the exception of every time he cut away to something he thought would make the audience laugh, it was an awesome scene with lots of tension and excitement. <laughs> I loved that scene. People love to point out Jar Jar is the problem in this movie. Jar Jar isn't the problem. He's a symptom. He's a product of the real problem. George, whatever his middle name is, Lucas. George George Lucas. <laughs> Old Gigi Lucas. Gigi Lucas. Lucas. After avoiding this movie for nearly two decades, I'm relieved to feel that it didn't end up ruining my childhood. It didn't muddy the waters of my affection for Star Wars. I survived watching it start to finish at maximum volume. In fact... I love this movie. I'm deeply indebted to Lucas for what he did with it. He accomplished something truly remarkable. What just happened? Instead of creating something mediocre, he made a giant steaming pile of nothing. A galactic fart that stunk for two and a half hours that I can now completely move on from. It's so far from anything even remotely resembling the glory of the original trilogy that it is a non-factor. It might as well have never existed. I can go right back to ignoring it as I have for nearly 20 years. It holds no power. It has no force. Well, you got another like eight movies to watch now. I will not be watching them. Well, um, we'll see well, about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Next we all pick we'll Star see, this, Wars This movies. is interesting, though. This goes back to what Hudson was saying, which is, and, and that was why I was kind of okay picking this, because there was no way I believed this was going to ruin Star Wars it for didn't, you. It didn't ruin it did, anything I don't think it ruined, I don't think it truly, yeah. the joke is Lucas ruined my childhood. I don't think that really happened for anyone. I'm able to keep this separate enough. And, and I, I, it's not that it's not me keeping it separate. I think Lucas kept it separate. He, yeah. Oh, I don't think he wanted to though. Oh he, no, he wants not at you all. to view this as part of the absolutely. Canon. But he couldn't. Right. There was nothing to me. Robot Chicken did a better homage to mm -hmm. the original trio than yep. than Lucas could do. Yeah. Do you remember the movie The Fly with Jeff Goldblum in it? Oh, How yeah. he would he would put movie. something. He was trying to transport particles across space time, mm -hmm. and he would put something in one machine, uh -huh. and it would come out really <laughs> jacked up on the other machine. <laughs> this feels like somebody took a bunch of elements of Star Wars, threw them in the first machine, and this movie is what we got because you see similarities. You're like, that, yeah. okay, that's a lightsaber. I know that's Star Wars. <laughs> uh, there's there's three uh, PO and R two D. I I remember them, and nothing. It's like you're in 
this nightmare version yeah. of Star Wars that's just similar enough to call back, but not Star Wars in the least. It felt like a, a, a TV knockoff show of Star Wars. Now, and you said something that's interesting. There, there's, there's a criticism you hear of this movie a lot that is that it told a story no one wanted to hear. And I, did, I don't agree with that. I, I, don't think, I think you brought up a good point, which the actual general plot line of this movie is pretty good. Yeah. It's not the story itself. Now, there are a lot of major details, the whole trade federation blockade, blah, blah, like all of that stuff. You just didn't have to do that. But the general notion of turning, of seeing how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, and as someone who loves origin stories, that could have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I don't think this is a, a scenario of, oh, well, it was just a story that no one ever wanted to hear. I think if it had been told the right way, it could have it could have been something everyone wanted to hear. Oh, I think in the hands of a different director and writer. And, and, this, and this, goes, like, this, this goes, could have been awesome. This goes back to Lucas. I think the narrative about Lucas is wrong. The narrative on Lucas is he was a great director who lost his way. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. I think Lucas is a guy who kind of accidentally made a great film, had a really good idea that even if he had been char- in a charge of Empire Strike, because you know, people remember he didn't direct those Empire right. Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. There were so or many. Write when, them. when you look at how Star Wars got made, because he was not a prominent enough director to control all the decisions, he was surrounded by a fantastic team. Mm-hmm. That and I think that book I let you read, How Star Wars Changed the Universe yeah, yeah. or something, great book. And it talks about how many decisions that are critical to Star Wars that Lucas didn't really have anything to do with. Right. He didn't have the power yet to kind of ruin his own creation. I think Phantom Menace is really more who Lucas really is. Yeah, I oh, think definitely. Star Wars is the movie that's not him. And so I think he got really lucky the first time around. And then as it became more what he wanted it to be, it became less what audiences wanted it to yeah. be. I think the ingredient in A New Hope that makes it so special is earnest. Mm-hmm. Like I think that Lucas's approach to it and the whole team's approach to it was so earnest mm-hmm. and so like it wasn't. I mean, there are like funny moments. There's some levity in it, but like it's so they they take it so seriously, mm-hmm. and so the audience takes it very very seriously. Mm-hmm. And this one is so full of jokes. It's not. It's not. There's no earnestness in this. Well, there's no there's no in character either. There's no relatable Luke character. Right. It's a bu- it's a bunch of people that. You kind of come across them. You don't find any of them that interesting. There was this funny thing I saw somebody do on like YouTube or something where they would interview people and they would say, describe a character in Phantom Menace without saying anything about their appearance (laughs) or what they do for a living. And people couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like you, with Han Solo, you could do it. With Luke Skywalker, you do it. Princess Leia, you could do it. With these characters, it was like personalities. I, I, I yeah, like there was no personality. Yeah. There was nothing there. There was nothing to latch onto that was like you're in into this world. What is it? What is it that made all those performances so stiff? I mean, like how oh, does that happen? They're working on a in a inside a building on a set. But yeah, but people do around. that all the time. Yeah, yeah. But but this was early on. I mean, this was, was like 1998. A, there were very an, few films. That, there's an amazing shot of Hugh McGregor talking to John. Jar Jar and he's not looking at Jar Jar. He's looking like just over his head. I mean, he's, Jar Jar's taller than Hugh McGregor and Hugh McGregor's high line is <laughs> yeah. definitely above Jar Jar. And I mean, it's just, I think it was just so poorly directed yeah. that yeah, these people seen, didn't really but know. It, but it, but I, you're right, Hudson. There, People are doing green screens all the time. I don't well, think that's doing the issue. Now, this was I, I don't think it was the fact that there was like a, a guy dressed in a giant green suit in front of him. I think it was the fact that that character wasn't saying anything interesting that Ewan McGregor could play Nothing off of. Nothing saying anything yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, right. This is and maybe so, the worst and so, I, so what 
I think what it becomes is we can't get lost and like we can't lose the actor for the character mm -hmm. because what we see is Samuel L. Jackson sitting there saying things. He's not saying anything interesting. He's just sitting there as Samuel yeah. L. Jackson because his character has no nothing to say. No right. thing. Well, his also it's the nature of those characters. I mean, I can imagine Lucas directing them like, oh, uh, Jedi aren't supposed to have feelings or right. emotions, which is right. ma what makes characters interesting. Right. And same thing, even Padme or whatever. Oh, you're a queen. You're not supposed to emote anything. You're just supposed well, to. Right. Cool. She doesn't. Yeah. And that's right. They're yeah. all they're all either too stoic or too obnoxious and silly. Mm -hmm. yeah. to, down which, to a person. Which right. He gives. He somehow gives Jar Jar the most personality. What's crazy to me is that all of the Jar Jar wasn't really any of the like promotional aspect of this movie. Really, it was Darth Maul. It's Darth Maul on the face of everything mm -hmm. for this movie. And I think he's mm -hmm. in this movie for 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Lucas makes I think this. He's, I like him, though. No, no, no. He's, he's fine. fine. I'm not yeah. saying that it, there's anything wrong with him. I think the face paint is dumb. I think the character design is dumb. But like the character could be very interesting. But he's on he's on screen so little yeah. that we don't learn anything about him. The, and the, there's a there's one shot in particular that I can't believe Lucas decided this. But like he's the he's the big bad guy in this movie. And he there's a shot where it's him and those two Trade Federation guys that are mm -hmm. so annoying and obnoxious in this movie. And they're walking just down a corridor, and they're like a foot and a half taller than Darth Maul. And it makes Darth Maul look small and pitiful huh. when he's supposed to be this like big, scary guy. Mm -hmm. And it just, that kind of decision in this movie makes no sense. You go, the, what frustrates you even more about this film is you, you watch it and there are moments that feel Star Wars. And mm -hmm. you, you hit a good one, which is the pod race. Oh, yeah. That was the moment where it was like, oh, this is Star Wars. I felt like Darth Maul was pretty Star Wars. I was like, that, mm -hmm. that, that could have worked. The problem is you find 90, maybe 5% of the movie actually feels like Star Wars and the rest is just not only not Star Wars, but something you don't care about or want to yeah. see and there's never any balance and I remember it's funny watching this movie the first time I remember I wanted to like it so much and I remember just having this psychological battle the whole movie going okay it's gonna like any minute now it's gonna and I, next thing I know I'm 45 minutes in and it still sucks I'm yeah. like this is gonna suck Damn it. Afraid so. So like you were saying, people wrapped around lines, people were excited. And it's like, it's it funny, you hear, uh, had conversations with people where they talk about the moment they realized it was going to suck. And I think for me, it was the moment where they're at that dinner table at, at um, Anakin's house and the mom's there and Jar Jar shoots his tongue out to get something <laughs> uh -huh. and Liam Neeson grabs it. Yep. Has anybody ever seen a pod race? They're pod racing on Malister. Very fast, very dangerous. I'm the only human who can do it. You must have Jedi reflexes if you race past. Don't do that again. And I was like, oh, it's going to be this. Like, yeah. this is the movie he decided to make. Like, this silly, slapstickish. nothing's grounded, nothing ever looks like, it's another criticism I've heard, everything looks like a video game. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing, like in the original Star Wars, things looked worn, they had character, right, they had right. a story. Everything here looks shiny and right out of a computer. Yep. And it, it's, it, you can't ever get grounded, you can't ever get a foot in this world. And it's, but it's not the movie he decided to make. It's the movie he always wanted to make. That's, that's what I'm saying. This is it. This is what Lucas wanted. Not only that, but you see what he went back and redid to the originals. It's like, right, oh, right. that's what you wanted to do. Thank God someone didn't let you do that originally. But I, I think it says something about why A New Hope is so special, is that when I look at Phantom Menace or any of this stuff with all this stuff Lucas put in, it's like these sci-fi shows from the 
50s or like Flash Gordon that just to me like have so many characters and so like it's just bonkers right and Star Wars just sort of focused all that on these amazing characters and this really cool story in a really cool universe that wasn't over complicating everything mm-hmm. we saw all the different characters but we didn't have to hear from them we didn't right. have to hear jokes from them especially it's just this like lucky thing that A New mm-hmm. Hope and and the rest of the trilogy it was, it was kind of a happy accident in a yeah. way. Well, I'll say this. I When when you first picked this for Jordan, I was like, oh, man, don't do that. Because I had some sort of respect. It's kind of like watching like an alcoholic have their first drink or something like that after like, 18 yeah. years or whatever. But now like, hearing you guys talk, I'm, I'm really glad you watched it. Because mm-hmm. it's almost like, to me, you were putting it on this pedestal. And I'm like, get over it. You know, like, <laughs> and, and I think part of the fault of a lot of these Star Wars fans, I'm not saying about this about you guys, but maybe, is that... The problem wasn't that Phantom Menace was so bad, even though it was. The problem was really you put the first movie on such a pedestal that you didn't want anything mucking with that. And I think it's real dangerous to put that kind of praise in weight on a, a, a movie. But it really is that good. C- compared to what, though? I mean, Everything it's, it's, else. It's still just a movie. and I, I, There's validity to what you're saying. I, I get that. But I think what you're getting at is, but it is this... The reality is, is this special thing to us, and it is something. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not saying I wanted a New Hope recreated. I got that with Episode yeah. Seven. Didn't really enjoy that either. I think what we're saying is, why couldn't you have at least stayed? There was no way Episode One was going to be as great as Episode Four, Five, no, or Six, no, and that's okay. Not. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't have to be. Right. But it needed to at least have some semblance right. of being in that world. And I think what's made it worse, too, is Lucas's just arrogance about the whole thing afterwards. If you watch the documentary, The People versus George Lucas, it's so interesting. Just like, what a d- he is about it. <laughs> like, if he had just been like, look, I'm sorry you guys didn't like it. That's the movie I wanted to make. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's fine. Right. But it's more what he's even come back now and done with the original trilogy. He was like, yeah, that thing that you all fell in love with, you don't, you don't get that anymore. Like, this is what I decided. It's like you right. because you know what the reason you are where you are is because of us right it's because of the people that love this movie and you're just shitting on all of that <laughs> and it's like like you only get this power because it was handed to you by this group of people who love this thing and if you want to be fair about it put both versions of the film out there and let people decide yeah but he won't do that because he knows everybody's not going to choose his version of but it. He, he's been like that since the very beginning when he changed things from the theatrical version to the first VHS release. He has and it sucks. It's almost like he's sort of become the emperor in a way where it's like all of this oh. got to his head <laughs> yeah. and now he won't listen to anyone else and it's just it's, so it's annoying. Who, who's going to throw him down the shaft? Apparently Lance is. You, you okay there buddy? Having said all of that look, look and this is the this is the conclusion <laughs> they get to at the end of that documentary which is I, of course I'll always love George Lucas. Like yeah. he, he, he whether, whether it was an accident or not he's the reason we have this thing that we love but it would be nice if he just stopped screwing with it and like let us have the thing we yeah, want I would prefer that so but I'm not sure the thing you want exists oh it that, does it's the original no, three on, untouched but yes but St- Star Wars is a great film but you don't love it because it's a great film you love it because of all those pieces coming together of seeing it as a kid of playing with the toys sure. of disappearing absolutely no, I, can't, I can't separate yeah. it no doubt that. about that no doubt about that yeah but i can still and you're right i don't necessarily expect like you know my girlfriend's never seen star wars yeah i'm going to force her to watch it one day but you don't expect her to love it she's not gonna she no, can't connect can't. with it the way but that I, did. I will say the way that kids are looking at uh force awakens now which i loved and might controversial be my favorite star wars out of all of them I, i'm weak what? But, uh, but whole, <laughs> maybe we'll okay, get to it. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to it sometime. Let's That's not. not that movie we're talking about. But I just wanted to say that kids today look at that movie the same way that you guys see 
The original trilogy. That's why. It's and like, look, yeah. that's why. If my if my nephews love Phantom Menace, I'm not going to criticize them. That's like sure. you're a kid. That's what you yeah, grew up yeah. with. I get it. I can only look at it from my perspective. But not a lot of people. Not a lot of kids even love Phantom Menace. I don't think so. Yeah. Not no, they don't hang on to it the same way that. There's no way that it would equal what a new hope did to yeah. us. Right. Yeah. Right. It wouldn't. So you're you're right. There's absolutely validity to that. I don't know. I, I and if I'm being fair, if I watched Star Wars for the first time today, it wouldn't mean to me what it did when I was a kid. No, no doubt about not. it. It's not. It was not fair for people to go in and say, "Lucas, make me feel the same way I did when I was five and I watched the movie the first time." But but it's not just that he didn't do that. It's that he kind of just destroyed the whole thing in a way right. by making it a completely different. It's like it was like he kind of it was like kind of a bait and switch a little bit. That's how it felt. And I think that's why people disliked it so much. It wasn't just that it was a bad movie. It was a bad movie that was not even in the universe that we right. were like, "Where did you take us? This isn't even the same place." It so, was squandered potential, which is why I'm mm-hmm. saying like it would have been worse if he'd made a mediocre one. Mm-hmm. So have any of the sequels, prequels, whatever, lived up to at least being in that same world and not being offensive and not undoing it? I think I, when I look at Force Awakens, I felt more like I was in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Didn't think it was a good movie. Yeah. Didn't like it. Not even criticizing it on the grounds that it didn't take me back to the first time I watched Star Wars. But yes, it did accomplish a little bit more of a Star Wars-ishness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Star Wars-ishness. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see 50 years from now how people look back on all these Star Wars movies and if they start to all jumble together or if you still got the three on a pedestal and everything uh, Again, else the problem down. you have, and Gibby, you've rolled your eyes at me for this for saying this before because a lot of people say this, it's the problem you have with a lot of movies when they try to make sequels is that the original was told because it was the most interesting thing that was ever going to happen to these characters. Characters. It mm-hmm. was the pinnacle of what could happen to this. And in the, in the case of this, it's the Skywalker family. Right. I, the problem I have with the sequels now is like, I don't know where you're going to go with that. Like you've already told the most fascinating thing that could have happened to these people. Right. And again, to me, the draw to Star Wars is not the universe. Lightsabers are awesome. I love land speeders. All that stuff's cool. But they were always in service to what really mattered, which was the story. And you're not going to tell a better story than that. I'll agree with that. We'll see. And there is 22 minutes on Phantom Menace, <laughs> if you were wondering. And we are not cutting any of it. Super nerds. <laughs> All right. All right, what are you guys excited about? Uh, I'm excited about making Jordan watch Attack of the Clones now. <laughs> uh, I found a, I don't know if I'm promoting the competition here a little bit, but uh, there is a very good movie podcast called Unspooled, which huh. uh, our friend Steve actually got me hooked on. It's the, yeah, the, the, the guys who do... On us? Paul Shear. Yeah. Uh, it's the guy. It's yeah, Paul Shear from How Did This Get Made, where he does a uh, show about movies he actually loves. With cool. uh, I think they're going through the AFI Top 100, actually. Him and a, yeah. it's a woman. I can't remember her name, but she's a film critic. And they go through and they do one episode on each movie and they do just like an analysis of it. It's, fa- right. it's fantastic. So out. like uh, we did on Phantom Menace just now. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My my thing this week will be uh, this book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah didn't Harari. You already, didn't you already get excited that, about yeah, this? You've already said this. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to me. <laughs> I don't know if I'm excited about anything. Phantom mm-hmm. really took it out of you, huh? Yeah, life's over. I'm excited about death. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited about access to Lena Vertmuller films, which... I saw uh, my first Vert Mueller film when I was about 20, which is a movie called Swept Away, which is brilliant. And I spent the next 15 years hoping to see more of her movies. And now there's some access to them. So I've, I've been watching a lot of them recently. And uh, man, they're good. Nice. HP. Oh, you're trying to find another book to read? I'm a smart book reader guy. And he doesn't read I them. I can't do he, anything he, else. He listens to them. Another, he doesn't they're not all that man. smart. Um, I feel like I covered all these. 
Really uh, he's out off. of books now. Now you're going to have to go into something else. What's going on in life? <laughs> How's your marriage going? Yeah, I'm excited about my marriage. Cool. We can talk about this. I got a, uh, I am celebrating my third year of marriage this hey, week. Hey, Happy anniversary. Oh, yeah. Thank you're you the beginning much. of your third, or you've been married for been three married years? Been married for three years. Yeah, Happy of Third anniversary. Oh, that's gone fast. Yeah. Well, it's gone about three years per year. <laughs> no, year per year. One year, about year. one year per year. Three years per year. Nine years. Yeah. <laughs> year by year by year. By year, uh, I, by have, year. I, have a, I have had a wonderful time being married to my wife, and every day is a lovely adventure. I've had Excellent. a wonderful time of you being married to your wife. I think yeah. we've all enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, Sweet. keep doing that. All right. Sweet. Well, thanks, guys. Well, signing off. Bye. This is Marlon Brando. Let us know how you list differs at, at Fight About Film on Facebook and Twitter, or email us at fightaboutfilm at gmail.com. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Four Friends Fight About Film is produced by the Brothers Ray in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was recorded and edited by Jordan Noel. Michael, never speak out against the family. Hey everybody, Gibby here. Weird times for sure. But um, if we're thinking of movies that make you cheerful, you know what? I'm going to do this. We're all going to have plenty of weeks to watch movies. Pixar, all of them, from Toy Story 1 up to Toy Story 4 from last summer. And who knows, Onward's probably going to be available here next week or two. Check them out. You'll feel better. They do cheer you up. Any of them. 
except for maybe Cars 2. Maybe drop that one. But I think they're all pretty much available on Disney+. Plus. A fantastic subscription for anybody if you haven't done it yet. That $8 per month is well worth it. All right. Everybody stay safe out there. Love you. Gibbs out.